Bless up for tuning in to Project Cheney. Magic happens when you question everything. Conspirituality becomes reality, weirdness is welcomed, and it's okay to change your mind. Big up yourself. Hey, all you beautiful, sexy people. Welcome back to another episode of Project Cheney. On this episode, I am lucky enough to be joined by Daniel from the Know Thyself podcast. But before we get into all that, I figured I would talk to you a little bit about what's been going on with me this week. I um, have been off work. And so I have sat around my house and had to do some chores and things like that. Um, I've gotten to talk to some really great people, some good friends, but really just took some time to myself, relaxed, maybe found a new TV show um, (laughs) that I have to tell you about, actually. Um, It's called uh, (laughs) it's called Motherland, Fort Salem. Are you surprised? Uh, It's a little witchy, and it's very patriotic, my two favorite things. So I won't give anything away by setting up that it is kind of a parallel timeline where witches battle all over the world to, like, keep humans safe. Uh, The United States is motherland, and Salem is where the witches go and train. And they go through all sorts of different kind of witchy things. Some of it's kind of interesting with how true it is to form of stuff I've looked up. Different symbols that they use with, um, obviously, Mason and Kabbalah and, uh, like, old Hindu stuff. It's it's pretty... Uh, I even like how, what they do with history. Uh, and they take events that, if you're a his- history nerd, uh, that are true to form, but they make it like a witch battle. So, um, if you are looking for a new show, I am probably on like the fourth episode, season one, and there's only two seasons. Some people want a whole bunch out there. They're just starting the second season now. And it gives me, it's not quite true blood HBO show timey, uh, but it's a little, um, risque. I guess that's kind of normal maybe it's like cw level of show is the cw even around anymore uh yeah so motherland um that is not a paid promotion yet (laughs) uh what else has happened there's been so many bigger things to talk about than my new favorite tv show uh you also hear come up on the show a lot that i wanted to talk and maybe i've even asked people what the schumann resonance is and if you don't know at all I guess it's kind of the earth's heartbeat. I was going to read a definition of the Schumann resonance. And then I was realized when reading it that, you know, I'm not that great at reading. Sometimes I'm not great at pronunciation. Sometimes is it McAfee? Is it McAfee? Is it tomato, tomato? Is it a hundred monkeys? Is it a thousand? (laughs) Sometimes I know a lot of information, but I don't know the date or the name. Is it, conservator is it servitor oh britney's conservator 
Servitor is magic. Oh, okay. What's that word in the front? What's the conservator? What's con? Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I have a lot of knowledge, but I'm not even trying to pretend uh, that I know it all. And then there's ways like philosophy. I love philosophy. And even with this conversation with Daniel, I'm not even going to try to um, pretend I'm in the realm of knowledge this guy is. And uh, I just want to stay humble with what I don't know and maybe what I'm never going to fully grasp. Um, like even the date 1776, it feels ironed in my brain now, but I don't know when it got there. I don't know. It doesn't seem like something I knew when I was a kid. Anyway, that's... <clears throat> neither here nor there. So the Schumann resonance, we talk about a lot. That's the Earth's heartbeat. It's kind of been off the chain. And I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know anything about it. The Schumann's like gematria to me. Like it's not my tool I necessarily use. But since I've been looking at it every single time it goes white, I need to nap. I'm exhausted. I am beat up. So if you're a person that's into uh, the what is it? The magnetic field of the ionosphere, blah, blah, blah. I can't even remember what words tried to enter my brain that I'm like too smart, turn away. Um, <laughs> so I, I feel like my simple is like, Oh, okay. The earth's breathing or something. And maybe we make it, maybe it makes us, maybe we work together and do the opposite. I don't know, but that's happening. Uh, so I brought up, uh, John McAfee, John McAfee <laughs> is it the Irish in me. I want to make him up. Uh, he is the guy who, um, if you ever had a virus scan on your computer, you've probably seen his name our whole lives. And if you get something virus scanned, it has to go through the filter of the virus scan to make sure the document doesn't have a quote unquote virus on it. Isn't it funny that how this word keeps coming up? Virus, virus, virus. Um, Virus in your computer, virus in your body. Why is Bill Gates always involved? Uh, so this guy with the OG virus scan, apparently a lot of governments still to this day use this software. And who knows if he had a backdoor, who knows if he ever needed one to get into the OG virus scan that he was just pulling all these government officials and creepy stuff. It sounds like kind of a WikiLeaks level dump. Um, they've been after this guy forever. And so he ended up in a... Spanish prison and I might be a little off here uh, uh, in, I think in Spain and then they were going to like extradite him to America for like tax evasion I don't know whatever he was in this cell he totally Epstein's so he kills himself in this cell and it's all uh, John McAfee doesn't didn't kill himself type vibes but he apparently had a kill switch which a kill switch is kind of like an internet code of numbers, letters, a picture, something that once it comes out, the dump of this like uh, insurance policy almost on your life that uh, you're like, this is going to get released. So apparently he has whack tattooed on his arm and somehow that's an embedded kill switch type thing that other people know. And I guess we'll soon find out if... Um, any of this comes to pass, but it's a pretty big deal. And it is right along the same date and time because nothing seems to be a coincidence as Britney Spears for the first time speaking for herself at her conservative trial, conservator trial. And 
you guys, I don't know if you've listened to that thing, but I really, I, I mean, whatever, it's Britney Spears, but we've all kind of grown up with this caged bird watching this. If you believe in anything like an MK Ultra or brainwashing or human trafficking or any of this type stuff, I don't know how this can't compel you because we've all watched it and been complacent and taken part in it and uh, our whole lives. And somewhere, apparently she has a $60 million fortune. They take, this is just from that thing. And I could, I'm like, did I mishear that? They take eight gallons. I don't know why this is the number one thing. And there's a bunch of horrible stuff in the 20, whatever, 22 minutes that she spoke. Um, they take eight gallons of blood from this woman a week. What in the fuck? Eight gallons? Could this be real? I'm like, I don't know. Did they, did she say a month? Uh, I don't know. And, um, she has an IUD. That's the one. Is that the bomb? <laughs> I can't, I always get the, um, bomb and the birth control <laughs> mixed up. Uh, <laughs> but she has one of these in her that her conservator won't allow, allow her to take out so she cannot have a child. Uh, she cannot hire her own attorney because she cannot have any rights to her funds. She cannot hire or she has to go to like three therapists. She has to constantly be evaluated. She has a staff of like 20 people that see her naked all the time. Like the amount of privacy. And she says over and over again, how like humiliating it is to have people that she pays, tell her what to do and see her in this way. And she doesn't, isn't allowed to make any decisions for herself. And hearing her voice in this thing, it, it just, it sounds like the Britney we used to know, you know, we, everybody is like, that's not the real her. That's a clone her. Or that's a man or whatever they've said about this weird version of her. We've been watching on Instagram, but <clears throat> it sounds like, you know, you even hear when she gets upset, like her Louisiana accent come out a little bit and she gets a little country and, uh, her voice is a little deeper. It doesn't sound like the whole, um, uh, like, that little girl who talks about Project Rose. It doesn't sound like that weird shit. She doesn't put that on. And you just feel the sadness in her voice that she has been imprisoned for like 13 years. And she even says, these 20 people are on my payroll. They all tell me what to do. And this conservatorship relies around my family on whether or not they say I'm um, capable of taking care of myself. And they are all pretty much on my tit. I fucking am their financial support for all these people in my life. So they it behooves them to keep me trapped and she says this is only akin to human trafficking. And it really is. It really reminded me of um, down in Florida when uh, all those quote unquote rub and tug and they, the media tried to make light of it because it was Robert Kraft. But when all those uh, parlors got shut down on the coast of Florida, those women were trapped. They took their passports and their cell phones and they lived at those parlors and it, it was horrific. It wasn't just a rub and tug massage parlor where these women went home at night. And it's kind of like Brittany. She says her whole house is set up like a rehab center. Um, like she felt like she was forced to have to do her last tour. Anyways, it's horrible. 
and um, it's probably all for Louche, but free Britney, right? Free motherfucking Britney. We're here. Uh, and the timeline I'm in, Britney Spears is free. And we, I, I think it's not just going to be about her father and mother. The amount of atrocities that Disney kid knows about Hollywood, she wants to be free to speak about it. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, and I talked to you about the Schumann, and I talked to you about Motherland, and I talked to you about Britney, and we talked about um, crazy uh, John McAfee. McAfee, tomato, tomato. I don't know why that's such a word that's bothering me. And hopefully today we get the Arizona election results. I feel like every timeline I wake up on, they're three days away. So I don't know if we'll ever get there. I'm like the coyote chasing the roadrunner with those Arizona audit results. And maybe you guys are too. Maybe you don't care. If you are a fan of Daniel, you probably don't care about anything I just talked about. So... Let me, uh, on the simple scale, I, for the classes I took of philosophy in college, um, I never took it seriously. I always felt like I learned the philosophies. I logically heard them, but I never felt them before. I never thought outside of the box of thinking about them. I just thought they were kind of cut and dry or what's the fucking point? And they frustrated me in a way. Um, even though I was in philosophy, uh, there are certain one, uh, philosophies that are deeper and everything kind of is a philosophy. And um, now I have this really wonderful like watercolor way that I look at it and I don't have such a cement shoe way, but I even think that it, my philosophy of all this life is a little more watercolor and a little le less cement shoe. And I feel like I owe part of that resurgence in philosophy to um, Daniel and the Know Thyself podcast. And his show does something beautiful where they not only take hermetic ideas and just ancient uh, or Plato's ideas or Hermes's ideas or, uh, you know, just these famous philosophers you heard about, they're also doing stuff where they're breaking down the Old Testament of the Bible. And that's the philosophy of stuff now that I'm learning all these religions and allowing my logic to flow uh, with my heart a little more with all these religions and realizing there's this beautiful peace in all of them. You really need to have a philosopher's mindset when you're doing it because everything isn't so literal. It's more beautiful than that. And so Daniel has a really beautiful mind and a beautiful way of kind of flowing with things I used to look at like really brutal cement structures. I see them like more organic now. And um, yeah, I hope you like this interview. If you want to find anything, Daniel, make sure you check out the Know Thyself podcast. And uh, you can follow him on Instagram where he is always um, posting some pretty amazing stuff. And I'm sure all of the links I will put in the show notes. And I implore you, that's my word of the day, implore you to go find Daniel. And uh, I insist that you stick around and listen to this interview. Love you guys. 
Have a great week. Oh, and if you're one of Daniel's fans or one of the Know Thyself podcast fans and you're here, thank you for humoring me and sitting through my Britney combo. XOXO. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Project Cheney. And I am super lucky to have somebody I consider like a philosophy mastermind with me today. And I have Daniel from the Know Thyself podcast. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing so well, especially being here with you today. So I'm so excited as well. So doing fantastic. Oh, I am so excited to your um your whole podcast and even an interview that we did in the past was actually something that broke philosophy out of my college logic and into something that was more tangible and like um, important. Like it was, it was no longer this like playtime thing that I heard. I realized how important it was still now in my life that I was dealing oh, with. Fantastic. That's amazing. That, and you know, that's, Good philosophy is all about application. And I think that's where we kind of lose touch with it in modern education and kind of the realm we see it in the universities because it's like this separate thing. Like it's this outside thing that you just more discuss about and kind of throw chairs at each other about and like argue whose philosophy is better, but it really doesn't come down to application. And that's really where a true philosophy lies. So yeah, when you start kind of looking at it at that realm of like, oh, I can actually incorporate this into myself, it um, it takes like a whole new level and it's a whole new different connection. And so uh, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. That's uh, It makes it a much more special subject. I almost, I've found meditation now with reintroducing philosophy to myself. Mm. I can sit alone. I Loneliness is harder for me to come by just because of... I feel lonely sometimes, but I also feel um, presence of myself being able to question this stuff in a such a way of like, if the tree falls in the forest, how many ways can we talk about the tree falling in the forest? Where it used right. to just be one, two answers in my college brain, and I thought I got it, but now I am like, holy shit, you could really attach almost every philosophy to this tree falling in the forest. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's what it does. That's one of the great things too, is, you know, a lot of times it's even in the spiritual progress and this, this um, kind of path that everybody's going through. A lot of times it's not so much the answers we get, but the new questions we ask, you know, and it's not so much we're looking to get answers from these questions, but just how, when we really advance ourselves to kind of go through this alchemical process, and we go down these like kind of spiritual expansion, it's not so much we get the answers to the questions we used to have, we're just now asking different questions. And that's sometimes the how we're asking questions really kind of fuels our desire in life and where our direction goes. So if our questions are small, you know, based on our environment, very isolated just to um, a narrow mindset, our desire for life and expansion isn't going to develop. So the deeper we get at asking questions, which is kind of what you were just speaking on, really kind of is that fire that guides your life because that's where your direction and that's where your desire is going. Um, so it really opens up those doors for expansion. So it's so funny when we talk about this, like 
you know, this evolution we all go through, it's really not just so much in just finding answers. It's asking, you know, deeper and bigger questions. And it does something to this perfect computer of our brain. Once um, starting to ask myself questions and stop letting my ego feel comfort in all the answers of everything. Uh, and just to break it the second I thought I knew the answer to allow myself to break it again. The second I thought I knew the answer again, allow myself to question it from a totally different question because it's not just a black or white or yes or no. It's all the questions in between. And I was also finding simple questions was how I was getting people to get past their own cognitive dissonance. Like just being like, if you had a dragon, what color would that dragon be? Have you ever flown in your dreams? What's your superpower? Like the stuff we used to ask each other when we were 12 was mm -hmm. the way that I could get my friends that were completely trapped in this third dimension to start playing in bigger philo philosophical ideas. But it was just asking these simple kid questions that, you know, break down it's like getting their head to play time again but right the questions are so important maybe more important right. than the answers right because you know what do you do when you're a young kid what are you always doing you're just asking questions you know and you're always just firing questions right now like my i was just spending time with my niece and nephew and it's just you know one of my youngest one is at that four or five age and it's and she loves life and what is she always doing asking questions all the time you know, just so curious and that desire to see what's around that corner, um, you know, where my, as my, as we kind of, as I see the like kind of age evolution and the older ones who are kind of more attached to their technology, um, a little bit more sedentary now, like nine and 10 and 11, um, that question desire is already kind of starting to diminish. And then you can see how it kind of just slowly, slowly starts to dissolve. Um, and then we get calcified as adults and we don't even ask questions about anything, you know, not even ourselves, but even the outside world, like whatever's happening in the outside world, we're just, everybody just kind of accepts it for what it is um, because they kind of separate themselves from asking questions entirely, which is kind of a fascinating thing know, to what think happened. about. The question it somewhere the question asker became dumb somewhere and yeah. i would even say in a short amount of time i've watched it happen mm -hmm. in my like adult life where mm -hmm. it used to be a very normal thing that you could ask and change your mind we loved that about people that could be people could be fluid and take in more information and grow from that somewhere in the last like maybe 15 20 years it was like you're weaker for asking question it, right. it must be like that 24-hour news cycle like that yes. here's a bunch of facts and if you don't know these facts you're wrong and it's mm -hmm. like how much stuff is actually fact <laughs> right right <laughs> like what's fact what is that word <laughs> right right especially when you have to repeat it so often you know usually if it's a fact and you just say it once it kind of sticks you know so and they just have to like keep saying it over and over so you're like man i i don't know about any of these things that they're saying so yeah the such truth a, does resonate different it it, just, oh absolutely it hits truth hits and sometimes you know, it does hurt if you're living oh. on the opposite side i mean mm -hmm. i'll speak for myself personally mm -hmm. like where um for my own shadow work of things that i think even the word shadow work um mm -hmm. when i first heard it 
caused me to have shadow work of <laughs> just hearing that word. I was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? You don't know about no shadow work. Like, what's mm-hmm. this shadow work? I'm fine. I don't have any shadows. And it was like the second that you even acknowledge the shadows, they're like, hi, friend. We've been waiting. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, so usually the first question I start out with is uh, who's God to you right now? Who or what is God to you right now? Oh, that's a, uh, that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, God to me is, um, and I'm actually very comfortable, especially in the podcast, I, I use the word God, but it's, it's the universal life force. It's, it's everywhere in everything. Um, so God to me is very much that the life force behind, behind everything, um, and it's kind of hard for me because to put God in a box is impossible because not only is God in the box, he's the box and he's the space around the box. So, um, you know, I definitely, it's not a, um, it's definitely just kind of the, it's my, it's probably my biggest quest is kind of to get a deeper understanding of, you know, who God is and what God is. Um, but that's kind of where the, um, with that, we're going back to that, what the first thing we were talking about with the questions, that's really something as my relationship with that universal life force and that energy has kind of um, developed. Um, that's very much been getting to know God has been asking the right questions um, of myself and of like kind of, of the universe and everything. And I really feel like that developing, reconnecting with that childhood question asking is, um, is God. So, you know, God is kind of it's that desire for information. It's your imagination. So I do think we have a personal experience with God. It's not just on the outside of us because I, um, I feel that we, um, you know, we are made in creation. So we partake in creation. So if, um, if we're made from the creator, we can partake in creation and we can see that in the whole elements of our of our lives with even just, you know, our ability to manifest, our ability to think, feel, act, um, you know, the perennial philosophy, the understanding, like, you know, symbolism is just understood through all cultures and it pervades, you know, it pervades even the uh, public school system. Like even if somebody is indoctrinated, educated, they still can understand and um, see a symbol and actually start to perceive it very easily of what it actually truly means. Um, So yeah, it's, I'm sorry, that might've been a long answer to that question, um, but I love the question. Um, So I would say that would be kind of my connection with God right now. Do you have a faith in God or a knowing in that energy? Um, So there is, in the process of um, kind of like ancient alchemy, there was always the leap of faith. So the leap of faith is the, um, it's when you start to start question beyond the five senses of reality. So you understand the five senses and you understand the physical sciences. And so there comes to a point when you can't only answer so many questions with the physical sciences, scientists, sciences. So the, the alchemists of the past really started kind of looking beyond that realm and they were very much um real quick kind of, or, yeah. what is an alchemist I, this word perfect. comes up a lot on my show i feel like you're the perfect one to explain it yeah yeah you know and that's a it's a great question and it's what's so cool about it is alchemy really doesn't start we can't really even put our finger exactly where it started 
probably Babylon, Egypt, ancient China had alchemy, uh, ancient Hindu religion had um, alchemy. So alchemists have been this all pervading information. And really what alchemy comes down to is it's the science of transmutation. So almost like the science of transformation. And it really kind of came down to, and it's funny because a lot of the things the alchemists used to get laughed about now that we're going through um, all of these, um, you know, quantum physics, we're actually validating what these alchemists have been saying since Egypt um, in a lot of different things. But what they looked at was the process of turning lead into gold um, and lead being not just the physical element, like not just the physical metal, but lead just being that heavy, dark aspect of life and going through the seven process to get it to gold. And the idea that everything goes through that evolution because everything's based off of carbon. So carbon is almost your lead and you can transfer anything to gold, but not just physical. That also works within the mental realm. So of changing your, your brain from lead into gold and then changing your heart from lead to gold. So it's, it's a process that actually happens inward and then it, it starts from the inward and it moves out because your manifestations now are done in gold. So your environment kind of turns into gold. So it was always more of an allegory, taking it from physical lead to gold. And that was kind of more to divert people from, um, you know, persecuting them in the kind of during the Christian realm of the middle ages. Um, and in the past, it was just kind of used as an allegory. So they the were like, don't worry, kings and popes, don't kill us. We're just trying to make gold us. for you. And then they're like, yes. oh, OK, you're allowed to do it. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and people would try to kidnap them because they thought that they could actually make gold. But some actually physically, we believe, kind of did because there's just these alchemists that were kind of poor. And then they got really, really wealthy. But all of those ones just did amazing things with their wealth like made a bunch of hospitals for poor people. They all just put it back into the poor people, especially back then the, you know, that lower income population, because it wasn't even income back then. It was a completely different economic system. We're so poverty rich. And so um, kind of a cool situation there, but, um, but yeah, so that's what alchemy is. It's just this process of transformation, but we see it in every, every culture. So ancient China had the study, Egypt, of course, had the study. Um, so it's just this fascinating process. And it's, um, it's the seven steps. And, you know, we see this even in the days of the week, like the seven days of the week, seven days of creation. Um, you know, we're always kind of seeing, this is why Harry Potter was written in seven books. And it was all about alchemy. So we're, you kind of start to, it's all about those numbers and the it's very based in numerology, astrology, and the tarot. Do they so kind of do that stuff like Harry Potter? It's been something that's like for the past uh, few months, I've just been thinking, did they write that book in committee just to bury what we are naturally drawn to, like this stuff from the aether that we're going to pull on eventually and come to the truth of it again? But now when we all start to look it up and put in the Philosopher's Stone, we find Harry Potter only, and it's really hard to find any... It's almost like a rewriting of history in fiction. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and it's such an interesting thing because... Harry Potter is very much what you would call a gray situation. So you have light aspects coming in on that. That's trying to kind of waken you up and show you the alchemical process. And it's kind of hidden in within those books. But then you have the dark 
who's really just capitalizing on the money and the energy control um, and hoping that you don't go down the road of finding the philosopher's stone. So you almost have these like two energies coming together and that's what kind of makes it gray. And when you're really looking at major Hollywood and, and the whole aspect of pretty much any kind of major entertainment, you're really looking on the scale of gray on entertainment. There's some films that can come out with that are almost like pure light. That's kind of like their rarities, like a Terrence Malick film, like something that is just completely kind of untouched and just kind of really beautiful. And he was able to have complete control over the situation. Um, but then there's films that completely go all the way to the dark and it's just destructive information for the psyche, destructive information for the heart, it's uh, it's all negative programming. Um, so yeah, I kind of see like the Harry Potter series is like a gray because there was so much amazing information that's kind of buried within it. And it kind of reads like an alchemy text because alchemy you're supposed to read between the lines. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very much written in that way, but it's also very much written in that way that, um, you know, there's so many people who you'd start talking about alchemy with them and they're like, oh, I don't like Harry Potter stuff. And you're like, oh, well, you know, so it, it works so many, it works on two different realms. So I guess it all depends. Everything comes down to the free will decision of the sovereign individual at the end of the day for, for true spiritual progress, you know, so it all comes down to, you know, our own personal selves of evaluating everything we see, you know, can we find that light side that might be in there or are we going to kind of get sucked into that negative aspect of that, that dark side um, and um, when I mean dark side too, when I kind of speak of that, like more of like, not so much like the yin aspect of the yin and the yang, but the darkness of like, you know, greed, corrupt fear is what yeah, I there's say. a difference yeah. of uh, evil and dark. I think right. that's our density right. or dark or whatever these words that we're putting on this energy that I don't know, it's our masculine, maybe it's our protective side. It's our, it's, um, yeah, like our darkness is our lone wolf that maybe yes. would also run into a burning building and save someone we never met and then keep walking. <laughs> I don't right, know. Our darkness right. is interesting, but it always yeah. gets confused with evil sometimes. Exactly. You know, and I kind of like when I talk about it on the podcast, I, I kind of I think I meant we were talking about it as, you know, that you have your yin and your yang, you know, like the the womb of the light energy. And so when I speak about darkness in the, like the Hollywood or that, that whole realm, it's more of that light energy and you're turning your back to the light and you're creating a shadow. Um, and that's really when we're talking about kind of like the energy that we're working with. It's not so much that yin feminine energy that's the, the mother of creation mm -hmm. that's inside of you. It's more after that light has manifested and it's shining, you turning away from the light and creating your own little shadow almost. Um, and that's kind of that aspect of, you know, that that lower self, the individual that's like, you know, I don't really want to go on the whole journey, but I'm going to just turn, kind of make my own little shadow world here and live in the shadow world. And that's where that lower ego comes in. And that's where, where you live in like a fear-based situation and you live by fear. And that's kind of what your... Um, you know, if you, you know, what if fear comes in, fear is what processes and then fear is what you put out because we're, we're very much like a input processing output system. So if that's what we're taking in and that's what we're kind of um, 
searching for and looking for, that's what we're going to be pushing out into our lives. So, um, like a prison, so yeah, I, like a prison. Exactly. It's all, it all kind of comes back to it. Um, did you grow up in church or anything like that? No, you know, I didn't actually, I, um, I'm a great individual, um, for this because I didn't have a spiritual, um, experience until I was about 25 years old. What um, was so, that? so it was, it was um, like the most amazing experience. So it was so interesting too, because I knew about everything. Um, when I was like in my early twenties, I started learning about, you know, kind of like the, um, like really with the powers to be and everything that's like actually so you're really just kind happened. of an atheist dish. Up yes, until then? exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you know, my family, like my family wasn't very religious. Um, so I was just kind of um, like an atheist up until then, maybe an agnostic, but more of an atheist. And then. Um, and the agnostic was, difference, if anyone's listening, it's just that you do think there's something else. You just don't quite know what. And then the atheist just believes your worm food. Right, right, exactly. Right. And you know, I, um, and it was probably more closer to an atheist. Like I was very, I was very much praying on the altar of modern science at that time. Science was my God. Um, science was my religion. So actually, now that I think about it, when you asked me that question, it wasn't like a traditional religion, but I was, I was worshiping modern science, which, um, which, which, which I was kind of instructed through my public education is what the educated route would be to do would be to worship at the altar of modern science. So that's, I guess, what my God was until I was 25. And then I had this spiritual experience and I was already very much well-versed in um, so many aspects of like really what's kind of just like what real history was and really what's been kind of happening. Um, so it was when I um, kind of had this breakthrough and kind of finally saw world behind these five senses it was like six, seven years of just been kind of constant studying of alchemy, astrology, because before that, I wasn't even touching subjects um, like astrotheology or even looking into religions. Um, so that's kind of been what my crash course has been since then. Uh, and it's been a fascinating journey. That's I. Um, so in college, you're learning. I'm I have to say, um, I think. There's like a lawnmower. So if you can hear it, I apologize. <laughs> I'm going really close. Um, but uh, if so, so when you're in college and you start taking uh, or you're you're taking in all these philosophies, is there the first philosophy that breaks your brain? Do you remember like what one it was that you were that totally splintered your school of thought? You know, I think when, um, because when I first started, when I first approached my first philosophy class, um, was actually not even in America. So I went to school in America and at Arizona state. Um, and then I, my second year, my sophomore year, I went abroad to Sydney, Australia and, or I went exchange, I should say. And I could only take history classes out there because I was a history major at that time. And I just took a philosophy class. Like Australian um, history? It was, uh, yeah, I was doing Australian history, which was really cool. Oh, and then I, did a European, and I did a European history class out there, which was fantastic. Um, they were really, really great. And at that time, I was so focused in history because um, I was just getting out of college. I was just getting into college. And that's what I kind of thought, like, 
people who wanted to study had to do would be to study history. And I liked studying. So when you're coming out of public education, that's what you would do. You're like, oh, you like to study? You should just study history. And you're like, oh, great. I guess study for like the rest of my life. Um, and so I, um, I was really into history at the time. But my third class, I had to pick a third class, and it was a philosophy class. So the first philosophy that broke my mind was like intro philosophy 101. And I was like, I was going to throw up because I, I never even thought about the science of living before. Like it was it wasn't even put on my plate as a kid. And for some reason, I was just eating what I saw on my plate from K to you know, from kindergarten to 12th grade. So as I went through that 12 step program of public education, philosophy really wasn't even brought up as like a subject. Um, so to be like in this class and to be like, oh, there's a subject about the science of living that cracked my case like right away. So just even like think about that. Um, but, um, you know, I've always had a pull to like the classical philosophy, um, you know, once because all the philosophies was one of those things I could see myself swaying and being like, especially before I kind of understood like what objective truth was. Um, I could always see myself kind of like the last book I read was kind of the philosophy I would sway into in my early 20s. Um, so I was very impressionable when it came to that because I had no, I, I didn't have my own principles at that time. So I swayed with the wind of thought that was coming in towards me. Um, but I remember when I found classical philosophy, that really grounded me because it was more of a focus on like objective, objective, objective truth um, and the whole process of like the trivia and like, as I think, so I feel, so I act and kind of getting into um, kind of a, a process of, of that kind of organized thought um, to kind of build off of there. Um, but, um, you know, and then, I think with, of course, just being in the West, Eastern philosophy, even before I was religious, was always fascinating for its like simplicity. Um, that always was just um, not so much for its simplicity, but it, its complexity. What would be like a good example of like an Eastern philosophy? Um, so a good example of, um, I mean, like Confucianism is a great, that would be like an Eastern philosophy. Um, the um the chat uh, the the um i'm so funny i can't even think of the other really good one from laozu right now um but there's kind of like two core philosophies there um and then obviously like indian philosophy would kind of fall into that as well um so um so even just like the whole idea of like zen buddhism when i was on the outside even before i was spiritual zen just was a very interesting approach of how it was um you know kind of like the how it could say so much with so little um so i think that kind of pulled me into it um but i think philosophy as a whole once i kind of approached the subject that there was a subject of living well and living more completely um i think i was just kind of fascinated from right from the intro right from the beginning Right from the, right from the, um, I, I remember there was like in college, it's so stupid, but there was like the Tao of Pooh and it was like Winnie the Pooh yep. <laughs> book. And I feel yep. like one of the things in it was Winnie the Pooh standing on a toilet and it says like, man who stands on toilet is high on pot. 
I don't know. That was like one of the first philosophies in college that for some reason it made other philosophies make sense to me. It was like, oh, okay. Like it, my brain was taking in the philosophy and regurgitating what I needed to to pass tests, but I was mm-hmm. not conceptualizing. It was just not sinking mm-hmm. in correctly. It was like... Mm-hmm. um like science or math where it was like these numbers go here and this number goes here, but you right. really can't do that with it. Right. <laughs> it can't be right. that way at all. And, right. Uh, that's one of the most beautiful things about it is to take something that's been around for a thousand years and then maybe to think you added your own spin on it. Or um, mm-hmm. I like just the tree falling in the forest and hearing like, birch driver taking that and breaking it apart as a hermeticist or Mm -hmm. I like that idea or listening to like um, my Maria 777 break that apart as assimilation theory Um, Mm -hmm. and I just like how you can take a simple thing like that and really describe every religion with it every school of thought with it every and then in a way that can make it graspable for everyone to be like oh okay I understand what you're saying and I love just the idea of taking something so simple and then putting in such huge ideas into it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's brilliant. I think that's what I I like the simplicity of the Eastern philosophy. It's like the less words. Right. And you know, one of the things I love too is um, like the Druids, the Druids, they didn't, they had writing, but they would only use writing to record like business deals um, or like kind of more trade you they wouldn't write down spiritual information it was all from memory that was passed down um and it was actually like your job as an as you were an initiate to learn all of these um almost these proverbs and they would kind of organize um information um kind of like in an almost like a high cue setup um it was kind of very similar so they wouldn't write down spiritual information like true information you had to remember because to understand it, you had to instill it. Um, but the one stuff, which is so cool, the, the books that they actually did create to record spiritual information were actually, um, they would just take string and then they had their own language with leaves hmm. and they would actually put leaves on the strings. And if you understood the language, you could run your hand down the leaves and you would get the spiritual um message it would give you the message because you would actually actually be able to which is just in like uh, amazing in itself um but i love that idea of and that's why a lot of spiritual information a lot of philosophy was called the oral tradition because you know it doesn't matter if you want to like you could go and just read philosophical books that are like thousands and thousands of pages and just kind of burn through these books but if you're not getting anything from them um it's not you're not pulling what you need to if it's like a true book that you could be pulling some really good information from um because i think we almost like just kind of we're so set just to kind of work through stuff as fast as we can because we're kind of in that school method of you know almost how fast can i kind of complete this task um so yeah you just really can't approach philosophy in that realm it's so much has to be experienced it has to be um you know you have to kind of live through it, which is kind of the, uh, what's just so important. What's the Druidic religion? Like, where's that from? Or what's the Druids? So the Druids were going to be the, um, the native individuals of the 
um, British Isles. So before, so that's who Rome's going to kind of invade when Rome is expanding. They're going to go into the Druids. So the Druids are what you, when you think of like Merlin, mm -hmm. that's who the Druids kind of come from. Um, so they're going to be living in that area and they were highly spiritual individuals. That's kind of where like Stonehenge is from. They believe is like from a deep, deep like Druid or even maybe even deeper than them. And the Druids were kind of revitalizing that information, but a very sacred organization. Do you think um, that they could, they were alchemically advanced enough that they were doing magician type stuff of like oh. wizard wars, like I'm an owl, you're a dragon. I'm a, so, you know, like yeah. sword in the stone cartoon type stuff. I think that magic was such a big aspect of their lives. And they actually had a tier in their system of you had like your, uh, not to be like, like you had your kind of your working class or like the individuals. And then you had um, the art kind of individuals. And then you had a spiritual class that was like the, the top tier class. Um, and they just did spiritual meditation. They, they were the ones that remembered the stories. They did all those. Within that class, I think there was some very, very um, powerful magic. Um, you know, when Rome came to invade, there's this famous battle where the, all the Roman soldiers are um, lined up and they're ready to actually invade. The, and this higher class of priests come out of the woods just in white gowns with like their palms faced up. And they walked all the way through the battles, the um, the troops that were ready to fight, and everybody put down their weapons. And those like Romans wouldn't fight, so they were actually having to get non-Romans to come into that area because the people were scared because they felt that this was like such a spiritual um, situation to be interrupting. Like they're mm -hmm. like, no, there's like you could feel the magic of the energy. So you know, we lost so much information with the Druids. But I mean, the Druids are still around because like the Druids, the the Druids would make their magic wands out of um, the holly tree. And the holly tree is what they would make their magic wands out of. So that's what Hollywood is. It's just a that's their magic wand. So like, they're still around. The Druids still played a huge role. Like when Rome invaded, they didn't just take them out. They more incorporated that system um but more more used it away from that light and they more kind of moved it more towards that shadow dark side that selfish self that we've kind of seen um kind of move since we've kind of moved away from that more spiritual connection that we had as more of like tribes and um kind of like the deeper past aspect and we were kind of more one with the land aspect but um yeah the druids are a fascinating fascinating um um whole spiritual study to even look into really really great information that's still um kind of available for them um but also very mysterious and um we really don't even know how big their influences actually expanded because a lot of people believe that the druids were um at that same time traveling all around the world and they were making connections and kind of teaching this information. Um, so they might've had even a bigger influence than we really understand um, or probably will ever be able to understand. Um, but yeah, a very, a great little uh, Sunday afternoon to kind of get into something. If you want to go down a little rabbit hole, totally. looking into the Druids, yeah, you would love it. You would love it. Is it, do you think modern science is just a way they're trying to figure out magic? Yeah, so modern science, I think they figured out magic because modern science used to incorporate ESP 
modern science used to uh, incorporate um, telekinesis. Modern science used to incorporate all these stuff that now is people kind of balk at. I mean, Duke University, all these major universities in the 1900s all the way to the 1960s were studying so many more subjects than that that they kind of laugh at now. So modern science, I think they've I think they've discovered magic. Now I think modern science is following this like just like this rabbit that's just kind of running all over the place because I think what modern science is really doing now is trying to hide magic from individuals. So it's getting them so compartmentalized in their understanding and so calcified in their understanding. Modern science is just really trying to take the life out of everything so we don't see the magic in the world. Because um, I think they found, I mean, these people have been using magic forever. So um, they understand magic very well. So I think through the kind of the, the uh, evolution of consciousness that we're in as a, as a whole, we're getting to a part where we should be um, much more advanced in kind of our magical understanding. And the individuals that know this are kind of using modern science to um, kind of just make us very zombie and dead-like in our critical thought process, if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. not attached at all to anything. It's almost like if they can fill our false ego up with the idea that we know everything, then our um, soul never is allowed to question and figure it out. And so it's like they have us all on this very narrow path um, where they have us fighting over the color of our skin, our mm -hmm. uh, political party, our sexuality, mm -hmm. or whatever. They have mm -hmm. us fighting over all this real trivial baseline fleshy stuff that in our spirit means absolutely fucking nothing and nothing. nothing. And uh, so as long as they can keep us quote unquote, like false philosophizing these um, polarities, maybe these mm -hmm. do like these two dualities against each other. They can keep us doing that. And I really firmly believe um, I know the hermetic idea of like, there's no duality without polarity, no pol polarity without duality. But my argument to that is the whole dichotomy is false. So every single argument you pick right now, the opposite has been chosen for you. It, mm -hmm. They're choosing the opposite argument. We're not able to philosophize about it anymore. It's already been chosen. So we're under this idea now that, you know, if I say Republican, the opposite of that is Democrat. When mm -hmm. it could be if I say Republican, you say the opposite of that is the ocean. Like mm -hmm. we're in such like I just think we've been so broken with what we're allowed to question and what the opposite is already forced to us as it's like mm -hmm. put a line on it's made you know how they say time isn't linear they've made every argument linear and it's n none of them all of them have an infinite amount of answers to them and um mm -hmm. I, yeah yep. it's we're so broken and i see it right in our philosophy absolutely no you're a hundred a hundred percent right and that's there's the um one of the things that they love to do is that obfuscation you know how can they make something a little bit more complicated or, you know, even changing the, what we understand as polarity, like you were just saying, because you're right, it's so limited, the polls that they even give us, because like Republicans and Democrats 
you're pretty much the same party. The same. Like it, yeah. You're exactly the same party. And, you know, that's exactly what they're doing because if you, it's, it's all kind of in the language and that's what's, um, what I really like about alchemy too, is because alchemy really kind of looks into the language. Um, and I think we might've spoke about this last time when we were chatting, but you know, we, when we look at words in English um, and we, when we kind of break down words in our formal education, we always look at the definition and there's this great, um, I don't know if you ever listened to um, Mark Passio, but he breaks down words so well. And he was just speaking about how, you know, in a like ancient times, if you understood a word just by the definition, you were a deaf Phoenician because you actually need to, you know, there's so many more parts, like there's the phonics of it, right? So, and the phonics is what we got from the Phoenicians. You're a deaf Phoenician because you only understand like one third of that word. So there's the phonetic breakdown and then there's the etymology, like the, the history of the word. Where did that word come from? Um, so how a word sounds is very important. So if, a, if there's a word that has a different definition, but it's, it sounds the same or it's the exact same word, word, there's actually a connection there. So, you know, we were talking about the um, polarity. Um, well, the poles. So what they've done is they've taken the whole political spectrum and they've, which is so big, and they've narrowed us down to a far left side over here between Democrats are just a little bit farther left than Republicans. And what they do is they take the poles and that's where they create the energy from. So what they're doing is, is they've put the polls together where we go to put our election, which is our electrical vote mm -hmm. into the current, which is the currency of the votes that we do with our volt, right? Which is like the energy that we have. And so what they do is they take that pole and they get it come closer so they can generate much more energy between those two poles. Cause now they're just bouncing our electoral energy right off of each other, rather than just energy kind of really evenly distributing itself in a true political spectrum. And what they do is they generate that energy and then that's how they make huge events and huge waves happen in the future because they create all this generated energy that we give into them because we feed that energy right back into them. But it's just so interesting when you start looking at this whole system um, and how we're, and how powerful words are, I mean, just they just come down to vibrations, but it's not a coincidence that, you know, you have your poles on polarity, you have your battery poles on a battery terminal, mm -hmm. um, and then you have your poles that you go to give your electoral vote at. Um, your it's currency, all about energy. your energy, your money is your currency. Yeah, yep. Um, yep. yeah. You know, and then who controls the currency? What controls the currency? The banks. And yeah. that's why <laughs> I, I'm so anti-cryptocurrency because mm -hmm. it's dead energy and you're just putting it into dead energy. I'm super anti it. I'm all precious mm -hmm. metals. I think gold and silver have been valuable because they're conductive yes. of energy. It has nothing to do with anything else except that they actually conduct energy and silver is the most conductive metal on the planet and we are conductive. So if they are the most conductive metal and we're conductive energy, that's why it's so important that we keep these it. metals in our hands and not dead energy cryptocurrency. Yes. Oh, you know, and I, again, the, the, just with the push behind crypto um, that kind of makes you kind of question it is like, why is it getting such a push from the system? 
you know, because the system very much is pushing the crypto story. Anytime the system's pushing something, you really want to be kind of cautious of it. Um, but to kind of speak about your, the precious metals, you bring up such a great point because I remember it was like, it was, it was over 10, 12 years ago. And I remember I was, um, at the time I was kind of like looking at like resource-based economies and I was kind of curious about stuff. Um, and I, um, was talking to an individual who was telling me about a philosophy, a kind of a, a economic kind of system that was set up where you would have gold, silver, copper. And I think there was one other one and you kind of purchased into the, the currency that everybody accepted all four currencies. But when you got your paycheck, like you would put it into the currency that you were aligned with. So if like gold was doing so I want to say nickel is the other one but I could Maybe be totally wrong is? I think okay, it's gold yeah. silver copper nickel but I could be wrong I think you're right and I think that's exactly but it was just a fascinating idea because you voted with your money and your energy because if like the silver industry that was that that one was balanced through did some nefarious things you would be like oh I'm not gonna move energy through silver anymore I'm gonna go through gold for a little bit so it held the individuals that balanced that whole system in line because there was actually something being held accountable and there was actually kind of competition in that realm because they're going to want to make it as stable as possible. So you put more energy through that currency. Um, but I just, I think there's other ideas out there and I love the idea of the, the precious metal um, because again, just the whole crypto with the, um, just the control that they have and the ability to turn stuff off is like, I love the idea of blockchain. I think mm -hmm. blockchain is amazing um, to be able to keep something that can't be, um, you know, ever altered, but the, um, the crypto, I definitely am a little nervous about with just Even the with of blockchain, support. then whoever has the highest technology has the highest currency. Right. So then we're even under this like technological, uh, stronghold where yep. it's borderless, no countries, no laws, no mm -hmm. anything. And really, like you're saying, if they turn off your electricity, then your crypto is gone. I have mm -hmm. so many friends that just have, they don't know their Bitcoin wallet or they don't mm -hmm. know their, and then what are these other currencies that they're coming out with every other day? It seems like the vampire you're inviting in your house. They will never rip your freedoms from you. Karmically, they're not allowed to. You have to give it all away willingly. Yes. They will walk you to slaughter. And that's what I feel like crypto is. And mm -hmm. a lot of smart people, they are, it's their ego. They're like, no, I'll play this. I'll do it right. I'll just keep my money in here. They're not even realizing it's getting bigger because of the energy you give it. It's getting bigger and bigger. And now you have like, oh, I have this nest egg, this money. Now you have all this energy and the fear in your life. It's all fear-based now. It's not from love that you're building up your cryptocurrency. It's it's mm -hmm. uh, very interesting the way it all ties in. And everyone's like, well, what's the difference of a dollar? What's the difference? You can hold a dollar in your hand. It's an agreed upon lie. Everything's an agreed upon lie. But I can hold the dollar in the hand and hand it to you. It's a physical trade of energy. That is very mm -hmm. important. A physical trade of energy. It used to mean no matter what you did, I didn't have enough to trade you for that. So I would give you this dollar. I might be able to trade you my goods too. I, I made jam and you're going to put a new roof on my shed. I can't give you enough jam for that. You don't need it. So I'm going to give you this dollar as the in-between. And it had an energy of a physical change. The crypto is none of that. We're now making mm -hmm. money off other people's downfalls. That's what everything mm -hmm. has come into. The, oh, I 
make money not by you making money. I make money by your thing failing. It's, mm-hmm. it's inter- I mean, it's the stock yeah. market. It's the same. Yeah. And there's no football. We're not doing any activities. Well, but why would we? We didn't grow up doing activities. We didn't grow up playing football. We didn't grow up playing baseball. We don't play soccer anymore. We grew up playing esports. And so, how can we watch a sport we never took part in? How are we interested in that? So the only thing we know how to be interested in is video games. So now all that cryptocurrency is is we stand around the water cooler and talk about my team's better than your team but it's just my doge versus your to the moon, whatever <laughs> nonsense name. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about the tribal identification that happens with the cryptocurrencies right now. That's that's a, such a good point you just made there. I have so funny. I, that just, that, that's a can opener you just did for me right there. <laughs> it's like that the Moderna Johnson and Johnson. Like we're going to vaccine mm-hmm. argue. Oh, we're gonna, that's you know, so funny. That yeah. one is just the best. That one is just the best. Yeah. And so it's it's even funnier. It's almost like, um, gosh, the people arguing about Biden versus Trump are so deep compared to the vaccine arguers. <laughs> right? Like, where are we now? People where are, are we? Like, um, one weird one with the word etymology that I know um, I've been waiting to talk to you about a little bit is I have a crazy obsession with Mary, Maria, Mar, Mer, mm. C, and so. I keep philosophizing that um, because like the etymology of the word, if I take Mari, um, Mar means see, but Y in Latin is you. So it means you see. Um, and uh, Maria is Mar. It's the same thing. It's just the more Latin version of Mary. And then mm-hmm. um, we can attach to where Mary, they say that Artemis, sometimes the moon goddess becomes Mary, which is also Diana. And then I also just found out this week because I've been, I'm obsessed with witches lately and I want to know like where these words come from. And um, the son of a bitch is because Diana was the huntress. She was the hunting goddess and she led the packs of dogs and so if they called someone a son of a bitch it means you were the son of a goddess and so it used to be that like they wanted to start ruining all those terms to break any kind of goddess worship and diana mary maria all these type things were like very powerful um entities throughout time and yeah, they just kind of, it's, int- it's just burying of things, but I didn't know. I saw that you did a Mary one. I haven't listened to that episode. I just saw the picture and I didn't know oh, if it was right. like the Virgin or, you know, what you were going to go into on it. Well, you know, that's, I love your breakdown right there because that's actually something that we are looking at because there's this, um, there's a, there's an amazing book that just came out and they like, three chapters were kind of just put into what you were just kind of saying with like how Mary is broken down to the sea and like how you were just saying it was fantastic. And it kind of just like goes into that. Um, And those whole feminine, the whole feminine mystery system and where everything really came from. And like, even when we go back to the cave drawings, you know, it was always a goddess um, that they were painting and the earliest understandings of kind of the spiritual understanding that we're developing today um and so the um that whole tie to the to that deep information that kind of comes from the feminine is it's just it just goes it goes so deep so i just i love what you were saying about it because it's the um 
it's just this uh it's it's kind of this like endless endless subject so as we're kind of entering into this new season um that we just kind of started mary and really the the depthness of the female mysteries because the female mysteries are kind of hidden everywhere um everywhere even in, it's even everywhere. hard to find secret society information about them and right. i know they existed i know right. they existed but i can, it's i mean you can find one like scottish mason woman you can find mm -hmm. like a, a bunch of tales of pirates that were killed you can find a bunch of witches that were hung um mm -hmm. but shit it, it, the one article i even found secret society of women from like a 1918 paper in new york but it was being mm -hmm. written about like hey you guys look at the secret society of women um right. I just think, look at how many of the secret societies we know of men are women that much better at keeping a secret <laughs> or right. was like the rape and pillage of villages happening for thousands and thousands of years. You brought up something earlier and I just always go back to, um, I don't know who said it, but they said, uh, the truth is always spoken. A lie is always written. And mm -hmm. for women, I just have to think, um, when they were raped and pillaged and their village was taken over and all their men were slaughtered. And then the women and children were taken to the next tribe and taken over and had to learn a new religion. They would tell their bedtime stories to their children. And that would be the only way they could relay any of their history. And so it would all have to be buried in wolves and Peter and Bible stories and, you know, old tales. But it was really just the way a mother would take a big idea and a concept without scaring her child and tell that story so some bit of the truth stays in their lore. Because one mm -hmm. day that child's going to be raised and think he came over on a boat from Africa and was just a slave to this land, but maybe his people were always born there. You know, it's like that's how broken I think our history is, is that these huge cultures, these whole cultures are being lied to from where they came from. Especially, like, and for me, like, I, like African-American culture in America, I just think at least half their history is a lie, <laughs> if not the whole mm -hmm. entire thing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that was a whole lot to put on you in like <laughs> one. No, one. no. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. No, I, I can't. I can't, um, I can't agree with you enough about how much we don't know about our history um, and how much they use us to get mad about certain parts of our history when we have such rich history that they don't even, we don't even focus on, you know, even like in, um, you know, the, the white culture, the academic white culture, when we, when you look at like what was worshiped in history, it was always like warfare. Um, it was never, you know, we, we moved away from like the cultural advancements in architecture, the cultural advancements in music. And we moved away from like understanding that as being like huge aspects of history and why you always want to further develop it to like even the history of like our, our probably our fathers and the fathers kind of that were right before them, um, like this fascination with just learning about the last centuries or the earlier in the centuries wars and putting like all that energy into it um just shows how we don't even focus on this true aspect of our history that will open up like your own perennial philosophy which is these deep stories of your culture your mythology that that information that's shared in the the vibration that came from your culture and it's and they try to keep that vibration hidden from you um, and that's why they kind of 
destroy cultures because there's you just from the culture you came from you have your own unique expression of consciousness um that you can kind of put out and they very not much have done a great job of um silencing that in us internally not to be able to truly express it and if we do express anything they make sure it kind of comes out in a way that it's like a tainted expression sexist racist blah yeah yeah, all the ists put on it is exactly exactly and they use that energy and they know it's such a powerful energy because that's it's just brewing inside of all of us so what they do is instead of us that coming out into a renaissance of art culture and connection they wanted to make sure it comes out in a um in a you know an internal world making itself outternal like a warfare that's exactly how can i put myself and isolate myself um and uh yeah put up the walls which yeah. they love to make us do yeah and if my brain if my cognitive dissonance can be he is racist he is crazy he mm-hmm. is sexist now i don't everything you say whoop I put yep. the filter on of just a block. My yes. my uncomfortable robot doesn't have to dig out of my comfort at all. It's just this. It's been done for me. The media already yep. told me that yep. anyone who thinks like this is racist. So let me mm-hmm. not go any further with anything that's being right. said in this conversation. Right. I actually yeah. feel like that's why I have this avatar this lifetime, because a lot of the questions I ask um are not supposed to be asked by a lesbian. You're supposed to think this way as a lesbian. This is how right. you're fit. And I think um, and maybe, you know, because of the world we grow up in where the white man or whatever, the wealthy white man got these philosophies handed to them, easier for them to think like this. Um, but maybe in a way they've also separated us from that. So we couldn't know it. They wanted us to think that guy's evil. That guy's against you. That guy's always going to have your worst instinct. So everything we think of when we even go like Amazon, Walmart, all that we're like rich white man. And so it's funny that, um, a lot of my teachers in life have been those white men that I was mm-hmm. told were evil. My best coaches in life, my best teacher, my best, best, uh, conspiracy friend philosophy friend all the guys that Mm -hmm. took the time to tell me this um and they had to be authentic and put away any of the fear of me being like how dare you say that to me how dare you like you're a racist you're a sexist you hate gay people uh but somewhere we have to put away that fear of also somebody calling us that for just saying hey do you think more black people were actually native to america than came from africa without being called a racist with that question uh, um, and it seems like just an easy thing to be able to say, but um, no, we, we don't live in, I mean, I live in a world now where I don't care and I just want to, mm-hmm. you know, be like, Hey, you're a Christian. Do you think the Marys were the same? Do you think she was a virgin than a whore? Do you think they were lovers? Do you think Mary Magdalene was Jesus's lover? Do you mm-hmm. think um, Jesus was in love with her and the only way he could deal with that torment on the cross was keeping eye contact with her the whole time and she could not bear to look away even though it broke her fucking heart but she was going to stay there with him until he died because she knew and they were attached with energy I like talking about this kind of weird shit with yeah, it no, I, I just love think it. the bible alone like it's not just the racist sexist because of people's faith it gets them so scary to fucking mm-hmm. just ask a question outside their faith Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. are the most important things. God, you can't think God's binary. <laughs> you can't think oh, he's I'm... just in that any one of the books. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And you also have to believe if you, if all these books are taken from us tomorrow, 
if we're just in an internment camp for the next 30 years, God will find us. We don't need, like the ether is floating around us all the time. The energy is always there. If we listen, the answers will come to us. We, Mm -hmm. you and me could sit down long enough and write every religious book from an island. If that was our calling to do that, mm-hmm. I, I think we're in this kind of place where people fear the information leaving them instead of trusting they, they can just plug into it. Exactly. Cause it's a lot of, it's a re-remembering, you know, when you see, when you were saying truth hits, it's cause yeah, when truth like kind of unfolds inside you, it's a blossoming experience and it's, it's not so much coming from the outside. It's this internal realization or this, you know, this seeing something from a new perspective or whatever it kind of becomes but um yeah it's this internal process that kind of happens with that information so i think it's it's just such a powerful thing in uh in that realm so you yeah there's just just this this internal knowing that kind of happens from it the other fun Mm -hmm. one um adam and eve i romanticize that um well, today, actually, I was like, what if there wasn't an Adam and Eve? What if it was just one person and they could manifest a being out of them? What if it was just a hermaphroditic person type idea? Mm. Because it does seem like in a lot of Indian cultures, um, there was hermaphrodites. And somewhere in mm-hmm. our culture in the like 70s and 80s, they started making parents decide um, if they were going to be a boy or a girl. And then somewhere mm-hmm. in the 90s, they started just making the decision for parents like and not even medically telling them this happened and so i'm like what if we're being separated that same thing to this male female and then to this slowly this trans type thing but what about if we came from this master manifesting being Mm -hmm. that if i wanted a tiger i thought about it long enough and meditated and opened my eyes and a tiger was there or Mm -hmm. a waterfall or a mountain Mm -hmm. or whatever um it's just this philosophy of like the romantic idea of Adam and Eve sitting there and having this whole world to just like screw knowledge in an apple. I actually think that was the first fear. The second she picked that off the tree and had to bite it, it was now I had to nourish myself. Nourishment wasn't going to just come to me. I had to chew it. And then that made me have to shit. And then that made me have to, it was this whole entire process. Um, but we used to just sit around and, Uh, manifest for each other and like I can't Mm. wait till Adam gets up and he sees the zebra and giraffe I made him he's just going to be blown away and then Adam stayed up all night and the reason he slept in is because he's like I can't wait till Eve gets to the beach and she sees these whales she's going to lose her mind she's going to lose her mind and I just kind of love the idea of a world being created in love like everything about it every Mm -hmm. creature and sunset and wave just being like I can't wait till they see this <laughs> i love that i love that no that's perfect well you know the um it's interesting that you brought up hermaphrodite because um in alchemy you're you're doing this process of your molding the two aspects of your consciousness which is that male and female so at one stage you, there is a lot of hermaphrodite um, symbolism that comes up in like the fourth stage um and then as you kind of go through the process you finalize it as the androgynous um and um that's kind of like the completion of it so i I thought that was very unique that you were speaking about adam and eve being a hermaphrodite because it's very much um that very much resonates with the alchemical process and that idea of when you completely blend that you do have that perfect ability for 
manifestation um you know because if you think about it how you you put that tiger in front of you is it's how your thoughts work you know that's one of the really big aspects of thought you know you can close your eyes and think of a tiger and you don't have to go and like walk in your brain to get the tiger that tiger is instantaneously right there you know there's no time space barrier in that thought realm um, and that's where manifestation is created. That's that feminine energy. So I think just even that process of going through there and understanding how that's how thought happens um, and then taking it down the line um, as thought, emotion, and action, um, that's like a great tool just to kind of uh, recognize for the, uh, the process to become maybe getting back to that Garden of Eden um, because, you know, we are creators, like we kind of spoke about in the beginning. And I think getting that, how you brought up that hermaphrodite understanding of that love imagination connection of that Adam and Eve being the same thing. Um, yeah. I think that's a great way to kind of look at that as pulling away a probably a very deep principle that's buried in that story. I think uh, one of the things that I'm, everybody thinks they want to go within at the same time, everybody's looking for their twin flame. Everybody's looking for this other person. They, they, they picture the Ouroboros, but they picture the never ending story, two snakes <laughs> linked into each other somehow. And I just, I think it's a beautiful idea. I think having a perfect partner and a perfect spouse, and sometimes you get to travel with that person for a whole flesh, like 60 years. Um, but I still don't believe that another person, and it, I could be, this is totally as naive. This is philosophizing. I don't believe it's possible for another person to complete you. I think they have a piece of your puzzle, sometimes a huge piece of your puzzle. Um, I, the idea that they have the last piece of your puzzle is ridiculous to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think so many people out there, uh, almost like it's easier to look for that flesh person out there than to figure out that other half of whatever is going on in here, maybe. But I don't know if I believe in twin flames. <laughs> what do you mm -hmm. think? What do you think? You know, I, um, with Twin Flames, where, um, where I'm kind of at with Twin Flames now, and I would love information if anybody um, can produce it. I just haven't been able to find it. When it comes to spiritual understanding, we're in a very much a spiritual um, kind of naiveness at this time in history. We're kind of, we're um, not as advanced as we were spiritually in the past. So for Twin Flames, for me, my problem is, is I can't find where twin flames was written about in egypt i can't find twin flame you know i can't find the source material of it where i can find stuff about soulmates written from very far back away and and they talk about soulmates in a very much a similar way that you just spoke about you would never be able to attract your other soulmate until you completed yourself fully and it was only until you completed yourself 100 percent that you could actually vibrate to make that attraction of your true soulmate to come into your life so ancient philosophy agreed with kind of your um, understanding there on the idea of attracting a soulmate. And I, I've seen stuff, old, old text of um, spiritual information written on soulmates, but I haven't seen anything on twin flames, um, but I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, it's such an endless thing. And I would love it. I was actually going to make that announcement on my own podcast, but we'll share it through yours too. If somebody can kind of come across that information because like 
I just don't remember the hearing this word as popular until the last couple of years. And everything in the the new age movement, um, I love there's some stuff in the new age movement that's just so amazing, but there's a lot of produced garbage by, you know, sinister organizations in the new age to kind of divert us off of the path. So anytime there's spiritual information, you always want to go as deep back as you can. Like, was this in Egypt? Was this in India? Was this in China? Um, that's where you kind of want to get started from and all the other places as well. Um, you know, with like, um, Aztec, Native Americans, Aboriginal in Australia, of course. So all these native cultures, is this information anywhere else? Where does this kind of come from? So that's my kind of case on Twin Flame at this point is I haven't seen anything deep on that. Um, but I do completely agree with you on the soulmate thing. It's all about the completion of yourself. And once you go through that process, I think you start vibrating at a resonance that can actually attract that perfect um, other part of you, um, you know, because that's when you kind of, they talk about like, you know, the fall from matter, you almost are this completeness with the oneness. And then you kind of go through your own fall, like Adam and Eve. Um, and it's pretty much like you have to get separated and that duality aspect has to happen for you to incarcerate into matter. Um, so they really say that that soulmate is that separation that happens at that aspect which is a lovely story like i don't know if that's exactly how it happens um but it's a great little story but either way this um i think always the focus whether it's twin flame whether it's soulmate it always has to come from yourself and it always has to come for your own personal development and your own character development um that you'll be able to attract that right person when the time is right um so um that's kind of my take on it <laughs> I am going to um, pause on that and it okay. real fast because my dogs are all barking. And so I'm going to let it. them out and do that thing. And then you got it. we'll do another hour if you're cool with it. That sounds perfect. That okay, sounds perfect. perfect. Be back I'll in see like three or five. Okay. You got it. The recording has stopped. So guys, um, of course, uh, my dogs uh, totally broke my train of thought in this and, you know, my two little rats and had to go out but it was probably for the best you know it changes the conversation um and it also gives me a chance to self-promote right here and let you know to go to projectchaney.com you can find everything i'm gonna still i know i keep telling you guys this i'm working on links i want to add everything so you can find all my awesome guests you can find appearances that i've done um you would be able to find a link maybe that I was on zero with Sam Tripoli this week, which is his spiritual podcast. And I don't know if I'm the person that should be going on and talking about spirituality. And I don't know if I was supposed to be doing it this week where I was like, I don't know how love or light I am. I'm a piece of shit. So yeah, that, that happened. And you can find that on Rockfin with a lot of other amazing guests that have been on Project Cheney. They're also on Rockfin. So it's a pretty cool network of tons of information and spirituality and cool stuff. And yeah, that episode uh, is up there. Um, you can find me on Cheney in Wonderland on Instagram, Cheney underscore in underscore Wonderland. And you can also find uh, Project Cheney on Instagram and I have all the shows I've done with the guests I've done and the links you can find them and reach out and all the cool stuff they're talking about and um, yeah so back to Daniel
<laughs> I um I know. I did all the stuff and let my dogs out and everything and then my wife just pulled in and then she started to let the dogs out. I was like, No, no, no. I just did they're fine, they're fine. I just did it. Thank you. She was like trying to be helpful and quiet and I'm like, I'm on my break right now, it's fine. <laughs> perfect i know i i um it is nice just having the option in there and sometimes i never don't even need it but sometimes it's like something in my life will go haywire and i'm so glad it's just the options there where i'm not live i don't have to worry about a chat room right right no that's perfect that's perfect it was kind of something about this uh whole thing i realized i was casting in the word breakdown, I was casting, I was podcasting. And the more I realized and took my own witchy responsibility and my own magic, and the more I fell into that, the more um, responsibility and where it was taking on me to just go out there and like, I don't know, there was too many energies in the room with the people that were on the actual screen. There was too many energies in the chat um, it wasn't even about what they were saying. Like I could start to feel like it was like we were all in a room together and then whatever God was supposed to be between me, like I could feel connections I was making in a room on a podcast, like on a bigger forum. And I was feeling the spirit in me that was like, ask this, keep going there with this, talk about this. But then it was like all these other battles of the other stuff in the room that I, I wasn't taking enough responsibility for. So once I realized that, oh, I'm casting, I have to take mm -hmm. a huge responsibility in it. And I want it to be a really slow alchemical process of a conversation where I like kind of get high on a person and then have the conversation sit on me enough days that I think about it the same way I would like a DMT trip so mm -hmm. that when I do the intro of it, it's like all formed like a whole experience for me. And, you know, cause we are projections, I call it project Cheney, but project Cheney cause it's like, we're all doing oh, this that. like, um, and I felt like I, I was going to do so many different shows. I had so many friends like kind of help me out and even like big, people in podcasting like hey you should do this idea or what about this idea and I'm like conspiracy is fun I'm into it I want to talk to those kind of weird people but wherever it is I'm headed or the questioning I just don't want it to be um, I don't want there to be a dictation of like you're coming here to teach me about this and then mm -hmm. that's what we stay on or you feel the need to have to keep getting back to your subject so that your audience that's coming here can get, but I'm like, what if, and then even, what do I have to prepare for? Nothing. I just want your, to come with your heart and your head and whatever mm. happens is meant to happen. And I kind of love that idea of what hopefully this turns into different than anything I've done before. I love it. No, I think that's exactly, that's the course I see with like, you know, just the conversation we've had and just kind of knowing meeting you that the first time, I completely, I like the idea of you um, kind of steering the ship of conversations with a bunch of unique people, um, because I do think you have that curiosity that we were just talking about and that ability to ask really great questions. And um, yeah, that's just to, I think that's going to be part of, as, apart from the amazing information that you bring up with all the, the topics that you kind of discuss, um, that ability to ask really good, unique questions that get even the person who answers questions about this stuff maybe all the time, because I'm sure you're going to get like experts in the, fear, in the field. You have a unique way of asking like unique questions 
um, that I think that even gets an expert in the field when you have one of those people on here excited about answering those questions because they're like, I haven't even thought of it in that angle before. Oh, so really I think nice. this is awesome. Yeah, awesome. I think this is a perfect format for you. Oh, thanks. Um, okay, well, um, the next question that I was going to ask you is um, we've talked about magic a little bit and uh, is alchemy magic? Yeah, absolutely. So magic, um, you know, magic can really, my favorite definition I've ever heard of magic was change in accordance to the will. So, um, and that will being, you know, if it's will with a capital W, it's the will of like the higher, your highest self, the highest order of the universe. And that's change in accordance with the will. So, and then the dub, lowercase w would kind of be that lower ego, that selfish self. Um, so all of all magic is is making something change in accordance to your will. So you can do physical magic where you actually will, you know, build a fence and you made change in accordance to your will. You've used your will to build that fence. Um, but you can also use it in the mental application and in the spiritual application through, um, you know, manifesting, meditation, um, rituals. Um, all this aspect can kind of bring stuff into the physical experience. Um, so alchemy being a process of transmutation is like directed magic. So it's directed magic to personal development and character growth. So you're taking that will, you're taking that creative power you have as a creator, and you're focusing that energy that we've been speaking on, on the, the, you very not fast but just very focused development of the self so you go into alchemy into the like the caterpillar into the cocoon with the idea coming out a butterfly um so that's where your focus goes and that's where your will's kind of focused on so magic is the output of it so yeah it's like directed magic into development of your conduct and your character does a true alchemist ever feel like a butterfly so what true alchemist will feel like a butterfly, but the, the alchemist always knows um, he's a butterfly now in this new octave, but the alchemist knows there's an infinite amount of octaves. So he's always going to be climbing that ladder. So, you know, that eighth note of the musical note gets you to the next octave and then you start the cycle again. So the alchemist is always process of going back into that cocoon to get a higher perspective, to get more beautiful um, experience, more colors in its wings um, and to able to kind of fly for a higher perspective. So always kind of going up in the octaves, you're never, you're never done because it's um, it, the plans are infinite. So you always just get um, a finer part of the plan and the, they just always kind of go on top of each other. Um, so the process is kind of a continuum one for the alchemist. Um, but there is experiences where you go through these steps of alchemy and you do, you know, you're very gratitude for those experiences of feeling like you are a butterfly. And the alchemist knows when he has this furia of euphoria, this fear, this feeling of like internal love to be grateful for it and to really cherish that moment, not to deny it um, because they know with the good will come bad and that they want to like really cherish this experience of, oh, I'm almost as one as I've ever been with creation. Um, so to really um, feel into those experiences when we do come across those. Do you um, believe in like a sigil magic where people can put magic in a symbol and oh, yeah. put that yeah. symbol out? 
So yeah, so what you're kind of doing with magic is um, you're really taking the, the male phallus, the left side of your brain, and you're really taking that sword and you're impregnating the feminine side. So you're really taking a thought process and you're going to impregnate the ether, the subconscious with this information. And what you're doing is you're kind of planting the seed that the subconscious is now going to kind of grow through. So the subconscious speaks in symbols. It doesn't speak in words. So sigil magic is very powerful for the aspect of this symbol that you have created is a internal code for your subconscious mind. So what that does is most of the time with sigil magic, you're going to meditate on that sigil for a very long time. And then what you want to do is you almost plant the seed. And then a lot of sigil magic, you end up taking that sigil and putting it to a place that you're not going to maybe see for like a week or two, um, maybe in a book somewhere, somewhere that you're going to kind of come across it again. Um, and then the idea is when you kind of come back across that sigil magic and you see that symbol, it's going to re-impregnate that into your subconscious mm -hmm. mind. And then it just kind of keeps building that aspect. Um, so I, uh, I definitely believe in ritual magic because it's the same exact thing as the sigil magic. You're, you're putting a symbol into your mind, into your subconscious, because that's how your subconscious speaks and that's how your subconscious operates. So your subconscious not only stores all your information, um, but it also attracts information into your life and experiences into your life. So you really kind of help direct it on what kind of vibrations you're trying to attract into your life. So, um, yeah, I would say sigils could be powerful. Could I, I, I've just kind of learned about them in the past few weeks and in all the symbology study that I've ever done, it was like, it dawned on me that like I could create a sigil 2000 years ago with whatever my intention of the sigil was that now could be a symbol throughout so many religions in the world that they maybe worship or use it maybe in something for good or bad or whatever, but it was my sigil. I made it. I had the intentions. I meditated on it. I lit it up. It's my activated sigil. Can does intention of a whole cannot take over a sigil? And like my example would be like the swastika. Yes. Yes. Um, and I know some people are listening to that and they immediately thought World War II Germany. And then yeah. a lot of other people, they, they immediately thought like India and Buddhism with it. And so right. it's like there's just so many what or is it a struggle back and forth where we can actually see the the dualities pull apart? how powerful right. this symbol is i don't know yeah you know the the swastika one that is a fascinating one for the aspect of um you know because because these they've how they've kind of replayed it in history we really do see this one as like we've gotten really separated from that symbol um but that symbol is so old and even though the nazis represented everything that is evil in this world and what everything that they did that was the short amount of time for the aspect of how long the swastika has been around for and how powerful it was in every culture um because every culture had the swastika um so that's a very fascinating one and i think over time if consciousness keeps evolving i think that the the swastika will, will come back around i think 
just how we perceive time. We feel like it's been a long time tainted, but really in the chain of history, it's a, not even a, a, blip, a flat. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so we look at it because we're like three generations removed and we're like, hey, like we know that these guys were just the turds of all turds. Mm-hmm. Um, but we this symbol is very powerful, but I still it still has that negative connotation. So I think in future generations that will dissolve just because there's such a powerful presence that comes with that um but that's why they chose that that you know that's why they chose that symbol because they knew it was so powerful but i do think the internal intentions on a symbol especially if it's like your own created one and if even it like looked like it but if you put the intentions into something um i think there's a lot of power that can kind of come with that so even like somebody who uses a cross for a different way than what the cross is used in christianity there's that internal relationship that happens right there um, that's very powerful. And even though the historical, you know, um, thought vibration, emotional vibration behind that symbol is powerful, there's um, that that independent um, relationship is is very powerful too. So I do think that there's ways to kind of um, adapt symbols to yourself as well. What about um, is it servitor magic? Con- where uh is it conservator magic servitor where you actually create um a being to protect yeah. you for a certain amount of time yeah yeah and servitor magic so that's what you're kind of getting into um that's kind of like a little bit different of a realm of magic because that's where you it can get a little dangerous kind of um in the aspect of like there's some people who really are successful with that. Will you explain what it is? That is a big thing I just brought up, like a whole concept on this show that I never really talked about before. (laughs) I think you probably will do a better job. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like kind of how you expressed it. In Servitor, there's kind of two different schools of thought of like what you do. There's the idea that you kind of create this being um, and um, that you kind of create this like energy or it could even be like where some people say it's almost, you could create this like almost internal personality inside yourself that can kind of is really focused on manifesting because it separates in your own consciousness a little bit. Um, so th- that's why people can kind of sometimes advise against it, but yeah. Like it's an altar like, almost. Yes, exactly. Inside yourself that just can streamline magic because it doesn't think about your thoughts. It's not in your world. You kind of isolate it. Um, so there's that aspect of it um, that can be very dangerous for the individual. Um, the idea of creating the energy, um, like an actual like outside entity, um, but then servitor magic also, if I believe correctly, is also like the idea of like connecting with like interdimensional beings as well. Um, and that could be low level interdimensional beings and that could be high level interdimensional beings. So m- individuals that are very mediumistic Um, and they have that transparency that they can kind of do that. I do believe some of these individuals can contact very high order of like, kind of like spiritual entities. Um, So I think it goes on two different realms. You can reach very high levels, um, but you can also find some, the darkest of the dark there. Uh, And most people, because it's such an education that goes into it and you really need to be like, I mean, that would be like a medicine man or woman probably teaching you how to do this so you could actually get to these higher level individuals. Um, because if you're just reaching in the dark, um, angels usually don't grab you when you're reaching in the dark. Mm-hmm. That's usually going to be this level. And that's like, I mean, that's what you're tapping into, like a Ouija board and stuff. That's all kind of servitor magic. You kind of 
the entity is this box and that's what you're kind of operating through. Um, Cause even when you kind of generate that energy, you're really just giving a vessel for an energy to kind of live through. Um, and that's kind of why it is. So that's why it, through occultism, that was kind of always looked away from. So occultism is kind of more like the science of metaphysics um, and um, occultism always, that, that was kind of like a radical side that would practice with servitor magic. Um, a lot more in like the middle ages, there was kind of stuff doing Here's that a, kind of stuff. Where is Jesus Christ an example of servitor magic? Um, is Jesus Christ an example of servitor magic? Um, I would say, I wouldn't say he would be an example of servitor magic, but I would kind of be interested to see where that, uh, the root of that convert, like that question comes like, from. It you just cause... makes me think like if somebody creates this entity, um, at the beginning, the same way that if I wanted to sit here now and kind of create this thing, that's going to be here for a certain amount of time that opens up a certain level or tool in myself to mm -hmm. use or utilize. Um, and I create the way it looks. It has a feel, a vibe, a way it dresses, what it would do. It's a character. It's a real thing in my brain. Um, could it become so real, like law of observation wise, if I can get you to see it too, now it's more powerful than it was. And if I can get a church of people to see it too, and now it's more powerful than it oh, was. And so oh. throughout time, um, do these things like Buddha, um, Ganesh, um, Thor, uh, Thoth, uh, what, you know, does, does it somehow give it some kind of conservator type energy that we're, now it's a magic. It's a real thing. It's an existence. Um, and it protects you in the same way or doesn't like you're saying there's low level ones and high level ones. Um, like people can call on Christ's energy to protect them or be with them. Isn't that kind of the same idea? Yeah, no, I think, and I, and I, indefinitely, I think that's a great kind of way to kind of look at it, um, through that aspect. Um, you know, and especially if it's, if they're calling on like an external, you know, if they kind of see, um, creation as like this external process and an external kind of God like that. Um, so I could definitely kind of see that, that relation to it. Um, and again, I think it kind of comes out to, you know, what levels are you expressing that information through, you know, like the greatest analogy is like what you do with a hammer, right? The, the hammer is not good or evil. It's, what you do with that hammer that makes it good or evil. Like you could hang beautiful art with that hanger, uh, that hammer, uh, and display like a beautiful piece of art, or you can like use it to cause damage on somebody or something. Um, so it all kind of comes into that free will use of the individual. But I think that actually that idea of the servitor, especially like um, not so much of the idea of like idol worship, ideal worship would kind of fall into what you were kind of saying there and that, um, you know, that calling upon of that external kind of energy. So I could definitely kind of see where that relationship could come from. Uh, and especially the idea of them utilizing that energy, like the church utilizing that energy to create that energy for control, for in, for energy, you know, uh, grabbing of individuals and stuff. So I could see that being used on multiple different kind of realms in that, in that way, in that thought process. I just, um, I think one of my big things of recent is I just think people are doing rituals every day in their life. They're, you know, making cakes to 
moon goddesses and blowing out candles and having wishes mm-hmm. go up places and having, you know, trees in their house with ornaments hung on them. And right. they're digging up eggs that represent twin goddesses and gods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy to me the amount of rituals people are doing every day. But if you say witch or magic, it it gets in their crawl. Like even the idea of just, it just sounds so, even though they think it sounds so crazy and it's so ludicrous to even talk about, it triggers them in a way, like it triggers their truth in a way Mm -hmm. um, that it makes like a reek come out in them. Like they can't stand it. And I also think a lot of these biblical books talk about you know like uh, witchcraft or something being bad but then they're practicing magic throughout the entire <laughs> the oh, entirety <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> yeah like what would jesus be other than the magician on the the magi on the tarot card like that's a great representation of jesus that first say like, that card after the fool which is like the magician um yeah so i think the idea again we we have this analytical postmodern interpretation of the Bible. And that's kind of interesting because this is what we're kind of working on this season, which is kind of exciting, but really separating from this analytical, um, literal interpretation that we kind of been trained to do in this era that we live in um, and expanding it much deeper than that. So this, um, we read the, we read the Bible so literally, we read all mythology so literally i mean even fairy tales and fables you how we read them today is is so um disconnected to the true understanding of like what these stories are really trying to tell us um so i think with um with the bible and with the idea of magic is we have this we get this dualistic polarized understanding and we read everything so literal that we come across something like that and we just tag it as good or bad or we've not really read the verses ourselves and it was pushed on from a pastor or a priest that magic is evil but then you really start going through the bible and you and you're coming through it and you're just seeing all these examples of magic and you're like i'm not really seeing where it's kind of say that like this is bad like i see when it was used negatively but i don't just see it as like this this thing is bad so um yeah i think that's one of the the our biggest mysteries and um, one of the the biggest things that we're kind of disconnected from is the true understanding of these sacred texts and that they're really just, you know, our own autobiographies. And if we actually just paid attention to it, we would realize that all these stories are about our own internal selves. Um, I think there'd be some drastic, drastic kind of changes happening um, in the internal world. And then obviously from our internal to the external does do you get into crystals are you a person that has stones or you know i um i i uh i definitely have some crystals a lot of them have been like gifts that have kind of come to me uh but i understand the energy behind them uh like in my community there's some individuals that are like super into crystals where we live very close to i'm like an hour away from sedona and sedona is this like their sedona arizona that's a big community that's very much into the vibrations and the crystal frequencies um i have friends that have gone to healing retreats in sedona oh yeah yeah okay it's a beautiful place like nature ways i mean even the people up there everybody's really fantastic i was just actually 
up um, in a town near there recently, and uh, you would they would love you up there. Yeah, you would be you would do really well up there. I want to um, go everywhere. I can't wait until um, the world collectively wakes up, and because I just know what's going to happen. And they're like, "What have we been to. doing for the last what, year? What did we do?" Because and I don't mind taking a drive either, but I'm not putting a mask on an air. I'm not putting a mask on mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. So mm-hmm. the sacrifices I have to make for whatever that's meant up till now um, is what it is. And now I've even like. Okay, maybe that friend, if I was going to go to Australia, I would mm-hmm. put him at. But no, I'm not going to. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. So I can't wait till the world collectively has their big. Oh, like, my gosh. Aha moment. And here it's amazing in Florida. I mean, you guys I, did great. Yeah. Very and, proud of Florida. Yeah. And there's still more unmasked than masked. Um, I can go to a tiki bar right now and see live music. And if I saw awesome. a masked person in the crowd, it would be bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I it it makes me so sad. Like at first I was grateful, grateful, grateful. Yay. Um, a little naive what everyone else is dealing with out there, but it just makes me so sad. Like the chill, the, how important facial like smiles and mm-hmm. um, frowns or cries or just this whole part of your face just gone. And then you could sound like this when you talk and then mm-hmm. no one can understand you. So why even bother talking? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, it's just vibrationally. Um, we're so disconnected in what's happened in a year. Um, I mean, I think we're so amazing that mm-hmm. humans have become the most vulnerable they've ever become, the most authentic they've ever become, and they've made the closest relationships they've ever made with people online. Um, mm-hmm. Because no matter what evil shit they try to put out, we transmute everything because we're just so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't wait to just hop on an airplane again and go to Sedona like a normal American. Right, <laughs> right, right. My freedom to travel. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, travel papers. And so, and it's just crazy how we, I can't believe we got to this point. I cannot believe we got here. I would have never, um, I, I just thought, They'll never let it happen. And that's the story. Yeah, that, that was a little bit of discouraging. You know, I feel like that was, um, it happened so quick, not even so quickly, but you could just see how it was kind of developing. Um, and it, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's exactly what we were warned against. And it was all this stuff that you, we would have read in all those books when we were growing up. And we would say, oh, that would never happen. And then you kind of watched it develop right in front of your eyes. And then you're like, oh, I 100% see how that happened. Um, and um, yeah, so it's a very, very interesting, interesting. Uh, we definitely find ourselves in biblical times, Cheney. Yeah, so, you know, I know. Do they convince us of it? Because we're such powerful manifestors that they have to mm-hmm. get the TV to tell us. So we create it. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. all these black mirrors are all in front of us everywhere. Yes, the black mirrors. Absolutely. You know, I love the there was the interview with the uh, the individual in the Amish community and they were like, why do you think the Amish hasn't had any cases of covid? And he was just like, because we don't have a TV. Like, he was just like, wait, like, why? Well, we wouldn't have it because we wouldn't even know. We would just be like, oh, it's just the flu, you know, um, and he's just like, oh, because we don't have a TV. And it was just like, like. People like just that response alone should have just been woken up so many people to be like, oh, if if we didn't have a TV and we weren't told that this is a thing, it would have felt like every other year with some people getting the flu 
Um, Somewhere the dangers of Donald Trump were that everybody, um, everything became politicized. Everything mm-hmm. became politicized. So once it became political, our egos were so intertwined in it that no one could see clearly anymore. Mm-hmm. It just became an ego battle, like where mm-hmm. it was like, my dad said he doesn't wear a mask either. I'm not going to vote how my dad votes. It like mm-hmm. became some weird where every decision that was made was down to the core of what they conditioned us to think. Mm-hmm. So it was like, um, I think the most surprising thing for me was how many of my organic um, hippie dippy friends became pro vaccine that was like oh amazing so surprising to me i was yes. like i would have expected all my like conservative church going friends to go get the vaccine way 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 before my like gardening crystal hippie friends mm-hmm. i was like but you guys are the ones that are anti-vax all of the vax how are you pro this vax mm-hmm. it became like people's own philosophies were breaking and mm-hmm. because of this, where they're like, I love lady. I love Joe Biden now. I love Joe Biden. And you're like, you hate Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it just as a whole. Um, yeah, it really made everybody um, cement their shoes of their ideas. And then yes. it didn't even matter if you didn't ever even think about that idea before because it was put there for you and now you had to agree with that whole thing. Like, oh, you love cops, you're anti-abortion, you're pro-Christian, you're pro-Trump, this is your side. And then on the, and you're racist and you um, hate trans bathrooms. That's your side. Mm -hmm. On the other side, we have this list of things. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, sign up for your list, kids. And that's Mm -hmm. what you have to stick with. Bernie Mittens Mm -hmm. and Tiger Kings. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I know. I just don't think anything's organic. I'm at the place that I think every single thing that goes viral, even on the internet, is like they're oh, mocking yeah. us by saying viral. Oh, I didn't even think about that wordage right there. Yes. Yep. So we yep. think we're so clever when we Bernie mittens and keep posting it for each other, but really it's something for them. I don't get everything but because our bodies don't know what we're saying when we say Bernie mittens but the way I'll dissect everything that if I took burn it's probably like burn me it's it's probably like something like I I hear Jesus now and all I hear is he's us he's us Mm -hmm. he's us like Mm -hmm. the J would be a H like if they broke it up and I know everyone Yeshua and Yahweh and all these other things but I'm like he's us he's Mm -hmm. us He's us. Mm-hmm. That's all it is saying over and over again. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah. E- e- so everything, even on the Tiger King, Tiger King, Tiger King, Tiger King. I'm like, do you guys realize what Tiger King is? Like, do you guys know the lore of where the tigers come from and why it's important that they bring it up and regurgitate it for us every year? Like, there's more of a reason that there's certain things I think we pull from the aether. And they have to cover it up before we all collectively get it. Yes. So it's like that Tiger King idea, like we're pulling it for a reason. It's part of our history for a reason, but they have to bury it with this nonsense. So when you're like, what, wh- why do I keep coming up with tiger in my head? Why do I want a, what is that? What am I pulling up? Um, it, you're buried. You don't no longer look in the ether. You look on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh no, you are a hundred percent there, you know, and that's, that's why they study astrotheology so much, um, which is the, the evolution of consciousness since, you know, that's like the procession of the equinoxes and the eras and the ages. Um, and this is why we don't study them in schools, but they're masters at understanding these true calendars, because one of the big things is where, when we talk about questions, you know, you, uh, you get into that question of like, what is time when you really get into spirituality? And as you kind of really start sitting, sitting with that question and kind of getting some internal realization on it, you really get to the next question. And that is, where are we in time? Where is evolution of consciousness in time? And then that gets, that really opens up a deep question. But this is something that they study very religiously because that's, if you study the evolution of consciousness, you will understand what consciousness is happening. Um, was what kind of is what stage of consciousness evolution we are in, and that's how they're able to um, understand what's coming in that perennial philosophy and kind of hijack that information. And that's how I really say it because these in, individuals, because they kind of sacrifice that creative aspect of themselves they're good organizers they're good manipulators but they're, they're not really good creators so what they're really good at is hijacking so they they can't make their own plane so they just kind of let you make the plane and then they hijack the plane like they don't start whole foods they wait right before whole foods might be this wholesome company for like a year or two when it was like its own little thing and then they let you build that thing you create that community, the image, and then they hijack it and then they make it into what it's going to become. Um, and that's kind of how they work. And that's why they just kind of wait for these creative innovators to make the money. They come in and neither the game of Thrones. Exactly. It's like th he's attached to the aether. He's pulling dragons because dragons are in all of our history. He's pulling these names. He's pulling these like real big attachments to the earth. He's pulling this wall. He's pulling these white walkers. He's pulling the importance of like eating like something with the young blood. He has all this stuff going on all throughout that thing. And they hijack it. They change the ending. They put a feel into it that anyone that read the books is like, this doesn't feel this. They can't put their finger on it. They're like, that scene didn't happen. That person's not there. But there's an over, there's a feel that's gone that the people mm -hmm. that read the books can't explain about the show. But it was hijacked because mm -hmm. somewhere there was too much truth there. there. He like hit on too many things from that creative space you're saying those lizards can't create. So it's like yep. when you're really in tuned and you're in flow state where you're just going, where you're not even creating this, you're just pulling it. It's there because it's real. Like the second that starts to happen, they know it's happening and it scares mm -hmm. the shit out of the bad they when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And so they have to hijack those things. Mm -hmm. And I know that seems like the craziest one to go full like the game of thrones but there's so much about our history that's just shoved in that show that i'm like somewhere there's a lot more truth in this than fantasy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and god you killed it you just nailed it too when you were talking about how they messed with the ending of that because people were starting to feel that there's something deeper than just fantasy here there's even um you know, there's something deeper than the gore. There's something deeper than the sex. Like there's something deeper here. And they like had to just like, they love to like 
just be like there's not like even like the ending that we got was just like like what is this this is like this fractured thing that was just presented and they almost did that just so you didn't pull anything away from it so where you left that series like uh was did i waste my time on that because it was just like it built up to like nothing and it just kind of like fell through and it's almost like that build up of like following that truth path to like oh you felt like there was maybe something real that was going to happen and then there's going to be nothing and it almost like gets you in that mindset of if you have that feeling again of like that curiosity you're going to like pushing it into your mind of like oh i've been let down by that curiosity before and they're just going to like kind of move on and stay on their hamster wheel and not really kind of follow that desire and that inspiration that we've been kind of talking about so um yeah i think the the game of thrones example is a, a fantastic example to use uh, in that, uh, that allegory that they've been kind of utilizing for us. Uh, another weird one that I've actually hated when it first came out, but because of philosophy, I love the indie now is, uh, the Sopranos. I right. love the ending of that. Now I love the blanket closed, like the way my head has broken down the ending of that show since that is only because of philosophy that I enjoy it so much. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to give anything away, but did you watch the Sopranos? Yes. Yeah. You know, I have, my mother is an Italian from the Bronx. Oh, so uh, yeah. So she was like, we would watch it and she'd be like, that one reminds me of my cousin. That one reminds me of my cousin. So she just like loved it like that. Aspect. And people are like, uh, those are such characters. I'm like, no, that's real Italian men. Like that's, real that's, Italian men are that kind of character. I've that, worked under those guys. I've waited uh, on those guys. I know those guys. Yes, it is. It is an archetype for sure. Being Italian myself, uh, I've seen it. Uh, and it is it is so, so funny. I um, mean, they did such a great job capturing that in that show and capturing that energy you know, that cultural expression of that energy. Um, but yeah, the ending of that is um, when I first saw that, I think I was just like a freshman or sophomore in college. I was, again, I was just like, oh, I didn't like that as I've gotten older. Wow, that one is just as every year, you almost appreciate that ending even more and more because you're just like, that was brilliant. And it was before it's time that the that director knew he was going to take a hit initially on that. And people were going to be negative, but he's just like, if you can just wait, it's going to pay off because it totally did. Because I, you're right. That's something you think about all the time of how perfectly they ended that. And now um, I really was just kidding. Spoiler alert, because uh, it's like um, this show is so old. Um, I love this is the craziest. I love the idea of just how t intense that scene was like just the from the time he gets out of the car to walks in to sits with his family the music playing and everything and that intensity for me just watching it as an audience it was finally i got the idea of what tony lived like his entire life like mm. the intensity of that is he gonna die is he going to die? Is my family going to die? Am I going to get shot now? Locking my car, is my car going to blow up? And opening the door, is somebody at the diner going to shoot me? Is my wife going to shoot me right now? Is somebody going to shoot all of us? Is it like that idea of that churn of what that whole last scene did with all of us knowing it was the end and every question we had to ask, that is how Tony lived his whole life. And that's how you live in that lifestyle. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's such a... that perfect because you're right because 
the whole time we were watching Tony, and that was the first time we got to really experience like what it's like to be Tony. The whole time he was like this figure that we were just watching that character develop. But that was the first time we actually felt how he internally felt. And so how it ends, it's almost like a release. It's almost like an anxiety. It's like, oh, thank God that's over. Because that had to be terrible to live how stressful that was to be in that lifestyle. Um, so yeah, that's that's perfect. It's a perfect representation. <laughs> weird, I know. I didn't know we were going to talk about The Sopranos. Right? <laughs> I love it. I'm like, I oh, somebody's it. seen The Sopranos. I, I always want to start that show again. Um, but every time I go to, it's like the magic for me is missing. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. It's like, but it was one of the best shows. I think um, even the philosophy of his family versus family, like his mob mm-hmm. family. It was like these mm-hmm. two different uh, parallels going on. And I, well, I guess maybe I would be interested now, even thinking this way of what was going on inside his household with what was going on inside of his, uh, network of dudes. And if it went alongside each other where he's scolding this guy at the same time, he has to come home and scold his daughter. And then, yeah, um, his, this dude gets killed, but his son, you know, just got suspended from school. Like, I wonder how much Mm -hmm. of that stuff was going because he had to come and play these two facets. That's right. That you don't, yeah. I think even as an adult, now they think about it because I was like in high school, um, when that movie was like really, really popular. Um, as an as more of an adult now, I'd be fascinated to go back and look at that because I would probably be watching completely different things because I would love to see the parallels in that and how that probably did line up very well. Of how he was kind of playing father in two different realms, and he's always kind of living between those two lives so um yeah that that would be a fascinating little case study to go back in to rewatch it with that that eyesight in there do you have any uh favorite shows that you feel like a majority of people don't get how deep they are um yeah well you know real a lot of movies for sure um you know i was a still to this day like a huge uh original twin peaks fan I remember the first time I was, and even just like, you know, the depthness in like film and videography and like camera angles and lighting and how that tells so much of a story. Um, But I, um, you know, like just any retelling of an old story, like all of the, even though the Disney kind of utilizes to get like power and money, um, all those stories are very, very deep when it comes to that um, internal aspect of our consciousness um, and kind of that hero's journey and the completion of the self. Um, but I would say Twin Peaks was one of... Um, what, what Disney cartoon is one of oh, your so, faves? Yeah, I mean, Disney's really... Or important. movie, like, whatever. Yeah, I, you I know, mean, yeah, I agree. It's like this huge, huge, huge evil. I mean, as much as like NASA or Hollywood out there for us, yes. but they're burying these same truths. Um, exactly, that I agree. Like we got to be able to like almost like kind of move the curtain of the devil out of the way to see the angel behind it or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so like all of them kind of come in and, you know, it's kind of unique with that one is they all kind of represent something a little bit different. Like, you know, um, with um, like Peter Pan, you have the story of the individual who's going through the rites of passage growing up from childhood to adulthood. Um, and he doesn't want to make that transformation because 
you know, the only adult in his life is Captain Hook. And Captain Hook is this, you know, this terrible negative individual who's greedy. He lives by fear. So that's why he's king of the lost boys. It's because it's the boys that don't want to come up and they don't want to go through that rites of passage, um, you know, compared to like Wendy, who's ready to make that stance. And so you can kind of see the evolution of the rites of passage from Peter Pan having to make that transformation from adolescence into adulthood so he can actually create that framework of life so that movie is very much about almost like your first saturn returns and how important that is if you don't don't prepare for that and really kind of go through that constricting period in that life you come out the other end without a foundation for the next 27 years of your life so that one's great and then you know you have the idea of sleeping beauty and that's the the idea of like the overprotective parents and the individual that that sacred feminine that does get is overprotected its entire life. So it doesn't have that masculine aspect of itself to protect the the beautiful part of itself that once something comes back that can kind of touch that beautiful self, the whole thing crumbles and they fall into the slumber. So that book's all that book and that story is all about you know, the activation of that divine masculine internally in yourself so you can protect the beauty of your sacred feminine. So you just kind of start making your way down. Pinocchio is all about cutting the strings in our life and going through that evolution to becoming, you know, a real individual and a sovereign self. Um, and even the new ones that I, I see, like my nieces and nephews watching, um, all the Pixar ones that come out, they all touch on these deep esoteric principles these the the spoken word word tradition and again this these philosophies we don't really see them in the books like the rites of passage but we experience them in our lives um, and we see other people going through them and there's really no education given to how to grow up correctly but if we look for these films and we look for these stories we see that the pathway is there and that's what actually attracts us to those stories um if we actually can um you know, really, really, truly um, perceive what's kind of being presented for us. Um, but all the all the old stories, all the great ones, like even the movies like Lord of the Rings, um, Star Wars, all these sci-fi fantasy movies, um, much deeper messages. Like, yeah, we love Gandalf, we love Chewbacca, and we love all these characters. But it's really the what's pulling us into these films is these these really deep messages. You know, like you know um i'm trying to think like the transformer like the um michael bay movies might have great explosions and stuff like that but there's not that connection that people have with like an old star wars movie and that's why the new star wars movies aren't hitting as deep anymore because they've lost george lucas who was so connected to this perennial you know hero's journey philosophy and still telling the stories of the archetypes that even though they have all this technology and they can make all these explosions happen the stories are not as special and relatable to us mm -hmm. because they're not talking about these, you know, these core stories like we were talking about with Game of Thrones. And, you know, Game of Thrones was one of those um, shows um, that through quarantine, I went back and watched. I was, uh, I was in a relationship and the person was, was like, you've never seen this story. And I'm like, no. And so we, cause we were in stuck in our houses for a little bit. We, we went through it and I kind of watched that and, that was one that you picked up some um, really, really deep messages in there as well. Um, and uh, that kind of would come through that. So um, yeah, so many stories. I'm almost, uh, the Lego movie is a fantastic one actually as well. That's one of the most underestimated 
movies, I would say, um, because that will tell you everything about the hero's journey um, perfectly in a very simple way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to like um, watch a movie with me because sometimes I just like, will go off on a tangent and people are like, didn't, you could, why didn't you just watch the movie for the story, Daniel? Like, you should have just watched it for the story. I'm like, I know, I just get sucked into this. I do, too. I'm the right? same way. I like all I the layers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> On all the layers. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes yep. I'll have to watch certain things by myself before I watch them with other people just because I know, I already see it. Like, just in the preview yep. of something that I'm like, I'm going right. to watch this different. And I want to be able to enjoy it on the levels I need to enjoy it. Um, right. I know I was thinking of something very uh, specific with a movie and with uh, Disney, Pixar, George Lucas, Hero's Journey, Lego movie. <laughs> I know. I was, like, <laughs> um, I was thinking of the Batman and the Lego movie. Oh, um, it's weird to me that the deepest character of 2020, the deepest one, and we always got the hero our whole lives before, but the best character of the whole year was the Joker. Mm-hmm. where it was like mm-hmm. the character study of the villain and mm-hmm. I had all and really relatable where he was the good guy all of a sudden which I thought that was a very huge thing they did to us where um there was no more Iron Man there was no more Batman but the people started to think maybe Thanos was right maybe it's like this whole different idea was happening inside our brain where we were relating to the villain for the first time where I saw it happen where I don't know if we ever did that before. I mean, there was always the, you know, um, punk rock, rock and roll idea of being bad, like running with the the devil. There was always that idea, but you knew what you were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, never before was the like soccer mom, like, Oh, Mm -hmm. poor Joker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a very, uh, you're right. You're so right. That had its own culture kind of before, and you would expect that from that culture, but you would never have seen it blend into these other ones. Yeah. yeah, but and that's kind of maybe almost the stuff that scares me the most is the unintentional stuff we don't realize creep in. The stuff mm-hmm. that um, maybe we give a soft spot in our heart to the stuff that shouldn't be the soft spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the stuff we kind of fight against, the madness. And I think there's a there's a crazy that you go in your spiritual awakening, but I do think it's very easy when you're vulnerable and open and you have no filters there. That's what your awakening is. You're like hearts busted open and ready to take anything in. Like you're saying, um, you don't go reaching in the dark and pull out angels. It's sometimes right. when we're all in this broken open spot, especially of trauma, which we all experience together collectively over the last mm-hmm. year. Um, they knew that was going to happen to us. So they're, they're, they're trying to put new stuff in us. They're trying Mm -hmm. to put new ideas and new details and new roadblocks because they knew collectively, you know, where we go, one, we go all, I wake up, you wake up, you heal, I heal. And they Mm -hmm. knew this is happening on a big, huge scale. And, um, these big ideas that we don't even realize are in there of like, poor joker, I don't know. Maybe right. it just seems so simple, but it's um, everybody hates Batman now. And right. that's crazy. I don't know. Yes. It's just uh, 
weird. Everybody hates Superman now. No one, when were we in a place that people could be like, maybe Thanos was right. Maybe we should destroy, you know, uh, a third of the population of the universe. And then everything mm-hmm. will be better. There'll be enough resources for everyone to go around. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. instead of the idea of having all the power and just creating more resources. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Which is so, so funny. Um, yeah. You know, and again, they're they're going to use that magic wand um, either which way they can to kind of push that that agenda. Um, and they've uh, and you're right, they're kind of just implanting it in everybody's minds at this point. We're getting that identification where it's just like, oh, well maybe we the population is too large you know and we should reduce the population you know and then you like bring up the aspect of like well you know the whole world can fit in the state of texas with like living space you know and that kind of throws off like that whole idea so it's just you could just see this whole how the great reset has been that that information that's in that has been pushed and been you know has been put in front of our eyes through media for the last 10, 15 years, getting us comfortable with that idea before they even introduce it to where we're like, Oh, I think I've seen this before. You're like, Oh yeah, it's been all the Marvel movies or it's been all these movies back there. So um, yeah, it's just such a, it's a powerful thing, you know, um, film media, you're tapping into somebody's consciousness directly um, with sound visuals and feelings. Um, So you're really, if we're all creators, you're, you're taking part in somebody else's creation and it's creating within yourself. So it's a, it's a huge, huge tool um, that I think we need to be a little bit more aware of when we're filtering in the experiences that we uh, put our consciousness through. Yeah. Like just because you don't believe in magic doesn't mean it's not being used on you every day. Right. (laughs) Right. Like it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in it. It's the, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in it. It doesn't matter or not whether or not you feel the dark force. Somebody else is paying homage to that dark force. Like it is weird shit going on. And I think to be at a place now where I feel like I know so much more than I ever have. And I now realize how little I know. That Mm -hmm. is a place that I think everyone needs to be at. If you think you have all the answers, you are so far away from knowing anything. And um, your your TV is not going to tell you it. If the books are allowed to get through um, and still be published and not be sent, if you look at the publishing houses on a lot of your books now, they're from China. And you're like, what? It's like, yeah, it was sent through Los Angeles or sent through New York, but the publishing house is in China. So if we're all under this new, um, we can call it like things, patriotism or communism or capitalism or socialism, but whatever, it's somebody's magic. And (laughs) it's coming Mm -hmm. out of one part of the world right now and it's being directed and taken over another part of the world. And um, yeah, I think people need to pay attention to uh, the smallest level of they don't even an apple isn't an apple anymore you look at the ingredients of an apple and it's like trisama gluten ray apples the second ingredient you know it's like what are even the smallest scale what's in everything what's what are you mm-hmm. doing it all yeah. matters it's intention it's all intention absolutely you know it's so funny too like you talk to a younger individual um you ask them what amazon is the am you could say the Amazon and they're like the Amazon they're like oh it's the store you know and you're like no it's actually the the rainforest that produces the oxygen for this entire earth you know um 
And it's just like, even like when you talk about Apple, it's like when people say Apple now, the first thing that comes to their mind is their phone before this fruit, not only a fruit, but a, a fruit of biblical significance, you know, like a very deep, deep idea in our consciousness. Tesla. Um, tes oh, Tesla. That's the best example in the world. That is the best one. How that is the um, right in front of our face. We've watched that right happen in front of face, right in front of our face. And it's like we couldn't make enough noise about it because it was right when Tesla was actually starting to get and this is how it happens. This is how they control that point of philosophy, because he was just starting to get steam online and more people were like starting to hear about the Tesla Edison debate and really starting to see that history behind it. And it was just like they tapped into that. They knew we were going to learn about Tesla. They knew we were going to learn about free energy. And then all of a sudden, it's a luxury electric car um, that's um, really out of majority of your guys' tax brackets. Everything Tesla would have been against. And um, created by your tax dollars. Yes. Everything he has, every bit of wealth that he has is all from your tax money and subsidies given to his company under the guise of clean energy. Mm-hmm. And then he did mm -hmm. the same thing with the space program. It's like right. he's a really, and now he's the richest person on the planet. I think right. he's the biggest, um, he's a very scary individual. And the fact that nobody, some people think, see him as a white hat, in my opinion, mm -hmm. makes him more dangerous than Bezos or Gates. Right, because we, we've seen those guys' cards. I'm worried about the cards I can't see. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, if, if somebody's getting on TV right now, somebody's getting any kind of information, they have to be in such that small polarity that we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's nothing that's going to come out of that polarity that's going to expand it. It's only going to harvest that energy. So um, I love your example of polarity today, by the way, even just putting you, your oh. two fingers up and seeing it like a pole of even how I meditate. Sometimes I have this silver chain around my neck and I have this like one day I'm going to light this chain up like I'm mm -hmm. going to meditate with it and light it up. And um, but just seeing like everything like their goal is to push those two phone poles so close together that the wire that's needed is so tiny they can just control it at every aspect and our our goal is to spread those two phone poles as far out as we can. So the wire between them is so fucking long. They can't control any of it. Right. Almost like I, yeah, love I just, it. I, no, I, but you did it with your fingers and I always forget that I get to enjoy like the visual and then I'm like, Oh yeah. Like it was very, a good representation of just this easy way to explain it of them moving close and far apart. That's so funny. You know, and that's, that's what I do love about, these video uh, conversations that we've got to have because I do I talk with my hands. It's that Italian thing I talk I was with my just hands all the time. Italian, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because when we're doing the podcast, we don't we don't video um, we don't record it videoly. But um, when we're doing the podcast, I'm always just talking to my head and with my hands. And my uh, my partner in the podcast, Eduardo, is always just laughing at me. Cause I'm always like making examples with my hands and it's not until like afterwards when I was like, I was talking with my hands like the whole time. He's like, Oh yeah. The whole time you were talking with your hands. He's like, nobody can see it, but you were just like making all these examples. So it's just kind of, it's just something I naturally do. It's kind of a funny thing, but um, there's a magic yeah. in it. There's a, always magic and movement. It controls mm -hmm. energy. Chi. You can play with it. And so I think it's really funny how many um, certain cultures just are more expressive with their hands or their movements. Right. Um, you know, like Italians are super hand oriented where like um, a lot of like Southern cultures uh, will uh, use their whole body. They'll get out of their chair if you make them laugh. You know, it's 
like yes. a whole, and, and I like that expression of energy uh-huh. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where <laughs> it's it's the same as our smile and how important it is to not cover our face with a mask. It's a hundred percent. I can. Do you have anything you. that you want to leave people with, and of course, tell everyone where to find you? Yeah. Oh well, you know the um, which I always love. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me and being able to share this conversation. I love this. I hope you'll come back and hang out with oh, me. Oh, all the time. Like, okay, perfect. I'm, all I the time. I think you're so wonderful and um, your vibe, like the way you uh, make me feel is amazing. And I know I'm going to leave this with so many thoughts that will just keep me spinning. Like I, I love, I love feeding my brain things and then getting my heart to understand it. It's like, Oh, it's, it's a, such a beautiful process. So yeah. And that's a hundred percent. I completely resonate the same. Um, but, you know, I think um, always the best message to kind of leave with is just, you know, as we all kind of are going through this development, as we're all working on ourselves and developing our characters, you know, we live in such an interesting time. I think it's really important to be grateful for the progress uh, you have made on yourself and you've made as a community and how you've kind of grown through these old experiences. And it's going to take our growth as individuals. That's really going to make this, these changes happen that we've kind of discussed and what we're all kind of moving towards. So it's just, uh, it's such an honor to be on the journey with yourself and you, all of the individuals that are listening. So it's just such an honor to be on this journey and uh, would love to have more conversations with you. If you are interested in any past conversations that I've had. Um, you can find me at know thyself podcast. Um, so that's know thyself podcast.org. Um, but you can also find us on all the podcast apps. I'm terrible with technology, but sometimes somehow I figured out how to get them on like majority of them. So we're pretty proud of me there. Um, but it's a great conversation about anything esoteric or occult. So we really look at, um, alchemy, astrology, the tarot, um, really just natural law and the you know the development of our own character development of cells we look at all religions all cultures and it's really just this open conversation of sharing and uh, you make it all beautiful the the one thing i like about your show so you it never takes a side where you're trying to put down any religion it never Mm -hmm. takes a side where you're really just trying to like belittle it or make somebody feel foolish for believing in a way you really have this way of all-inclusive kind of wrapping them together and speaking through all of them it's really really wonderfully done Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. And that's amazing. And that's, and that's exactly what we're doing. We, through this spiritual understanding, we've really understood that there's a common language. um, And that that's kind of what we're trying to do with the podcast is make this common language. So we're all talking about the same thing in our own spiritual communities and our own kind of like higher thought communities, but we might be using different words, but we, we were kind of all stressing the same concept. So kind of unifying that and getting a common language so we can all more easily communicate across groups and see that we're all actually kind of working on the same thing, I think is going to be very powerful. So, so again, I am so blessed to be able to enjoy this beautiful morning having yeah, this conversation was so awesome. with you this was so great this was so great well um thanks for coming daniel i look forward to our next hangout and thanks you guys for listening bye 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 so she has been cheney and now she's off to smoke a blunt see you next tuesday you fucking cunts <laughs>